Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Making a change at quarterback. Um, I'll let those guys know. Nick's going to be the starter. You know what? I'm just. I just want to play football. Um, Primetime game or not, um, for me it's just a football game. Um, I know it's big moment, a lot of things, but I think for us, like, you really just have to, as players, get back to just everything's blocked out. It doesn't matter what time the game is. Like, it's just football. Once we step on that field. We have to forget about whatever's going on because I think if you make the stage too big, it's hard to see. I mean, we're, we're, we evaluate it the same way we do every week. We'll look at it. Hopefully he plays well enough that it leaves no doubt who's going to be, right? That's that's the intent. Halliburton bouncing just inside the timeline. Nine to shoot. Still working outside the arc, waiting for the screen from Neesmith. Robert Williams switches out. Halliburton unloads a back rim three. Rebound Neesmith. Beat two Celtics to the punch. Got it to Halliburton. Count that! Take that, Wally Serbiak, and put him on the line. We were certainly aware that they were going to come out in the second half and uh, put everything into making a furious run. They did. And uh, I was just really proud of the way we just hung tough, you know, went through some difficult stretches, but, but found ways to get stops, get the ball in the basket. And, uh, and come out with a big win. So um, I'm happy for our guys. Still to do a great job tonight. Um, you know, thank God we had such a great first half that allowed us to be better or, you know, to finish and win that game in the second half. But, you know, just made some big shots down the stretch. Uh, got enough stops. Um, but we didn't take care of the ball well. Um, you know, we just had some bad defensive rebounding moments there. So didn't close it how we wanted to, but just glad to come with a W. Take that, Wally Serbiak, you jerk. It's my best Joe Pesci impression from Home Alone. I tip your cap. I tip the cap. Way to go, Mark Boyle. Yes. That, that was fantastic. Shots fired back at the Knicks. Truly, I think you have to. 117-112. Pacers beat the Celtics. Celtics have lost three straight. Take that. It's twice against Orlando. Once now against Indiana. It is our last show before Christmas on the Fan Midday Show. We're already readjusting the camera in the studio. We are on YouTube. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is here. Nathaniel is here. It is the snowpocalypse on the way, Jimmy. And we are hanging with you till three, no matter what happens outside. I don't care if suddenly eight inches of snow fall out there during the tenure of this show. We're here for you. We got all the breaking news. More news around the NFL. More news around the AFC South, BK. Very likely is the terminology that Ryan Tannehill's season is done. A couple different sources have picked that up, including Pro Football Talk, which means Malik Willis enters the fray. For the Titans, if that is the case, you'd think he'd be the starter for the rest of the season. So the young generation of quarterbacks in the South continuing to try to make their mark on the division. Obviously, Lawrence, the best of the bunch, but Malik Willis gets an opportunity to shine as the Titans are still fighting for a playoff spot, too. That's very much now a two-horse race between Jacksonville and Tennessee. Well, the Colts' playoffs, so playoff hopes really start tonight, right? Yep. I mean, it's tonight. It's Thursday night football. It's the Jets and the Jets. Who knew that the Colts could be eliminated in a December, what is today, 22nd 
NFL football game featuring the Jaguars and the Jets. That would not be my initial thought, Jimmy, in August, that the Colts could be eliminated in a game like that depending on the outcome. It wouldn't have been my initial thought in August, but I'll tell you this much. Boy, would that be just the best Christmas present ever, legitimately speaking, particularly if you're a Colts fan that wants the tank to be on, that wants a top pick to be able to go into the Christmas holiday already setting plans with family members and friends for what you want this organization to do at April's draft. That's what everybody talks about during Christmas gatherings, right? If you're bounced tonight, you don't have to stress anymore, BK. You don't stress anymore, right? Because that, that's it. Scenario-wise, Jags win tonight. It's done, correct? I am, I'm it's right done. on that? It, it's done. Okay. Uh, well, and imagine, too, at like the Ursay family Christmas. You, you think they're like, man, if we have a playoff shot on Christmas, this is going to be a long night. If they're eliminated, they could just probably have a good time. Enjoy a couple glasses of wine. You're like, there's no worry anymore. We play the day after Christmas. We're going to try and upset the charges. And then the Giants on New Year's Day. And then the worst AFC South football game of all time, which comes your way inside Lucas Oil Stadium on January the 8th. That is going to be fantastic, Jimmy, because it's going to be a 10-10 to tie. I don't know what the opposite of a prize fight is, but usually for these type of big high-profile boxing matches, you have to wait like a year or two to get blank versus blank two. BK, we get Colts, Texans, two to end the year. I mean, just just what a gift. What a gift. The contract contract for the rematch was signed immediately after. We tied 2020. Matt Ryan is now not going to be the quarterback because (laughs) Nick Foles was announced as the starting QB yesterday. We are on YouTube. Uh, I am heading to a Christmas charity dinner after this, so that's why I had to put on a, sh- a suit. People are already calling me out for that. You are going full Chiefs today. Well, I thought that you were going to break out the Christmas sweater. I don't think you told this to the audience I, I yesterday. I told you, I teased yesterday you t- that you would okay. like my outfit today. And I do. You look sharp, top shelf level attire you got repping today. You got the Christmas coordination going on with the green suit and the red jacket. I just thought that it was going to be heavy Christmas theme, so I brought out the Chiefsmas gear. I'm sure much to the dismay of the YouTube chat, but but here we are. The sweater also lights up. It's like it's the way too early <laughs> pregame show all over again. Yeah, pretty much. She, you know, it's just Christmas time. It, I, I love me some Chiefsmas. Uh, ordinarily, this town will love them some Coltsmiths, but again, uh, both sides are asking for different presents this year. One is looking for a mercy kill <laughs> via the <laughs> Jaguars tonight, and one has championship aspirations. So we it, it really is something, Jimmy, when you look at the AFC South and the state of it right now, because the Jaguars, I wouldn't even say they're firing on all cylinders. They've been up and down consistently. Finally, Trevor Lawrence has found something, at least here in late December. But the Titans, Ryan Tannehill, Perturon Davenport, that story is on ESPN right now, likely out for the rest of the season. You already alluded to Malik Willis being their starting quarterback. How'd you like to be a rookie, Jimmy, and have to start in crunch time when the playoffs are on the line? And you have the option to just hand it off to Derrick Henry every time. That is a, as unique of a rookie quarterback situation as I think I've heard. Yeah, one I got over all the anxiety of the moment and the excitement of the moment and then fear set in like, oh man, I'm going to have to make some plays. Then you quickly are calmed down by the fact that, oh no, one of the best running backs in football is behind me. I just have to not do what I did once this season, which is bobble a snap or bobble an exchange. Just hand the ball off to the big fella and let King Henry go do the work for you. So on the one hand, you're probably having a very mixed bag of emotions if you're Malik Willis, but on the other hand, to your point, BK, it'd be the same thing if Jonathan Taylor had had the year that he had last year and you had inserted a rookie quarterback right now. You know the offense can flow through the tailback to such a point 
that you feel a little bit less pressure. But of course, there's going to be situations, particularly if the Titans make the playoffs, where if Malik Willis is the starter from here on out, he's going to have to make plays. He's going to have to show that he was worthy of his pick by the Titans and that he's capable of making it in today's NFL. A lot of critics say Malik Willis is not your, even to, even not to go in as high as Lamar Jackson, but not your true quarterback that is able to not only go pick up a first down with his legs, but has the arm talent and arm accuracy to survive in this league. So I'm fascinated by that. Even though the Colts are out of it, AFC South, even though it's the worst division of football, because it's in the situation it's in, it is drama I can't miss. I'm so much looking forward to this whole stretch run, though I do wish the Colts were a part of it. So the Titans play the Texans. That's on Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock. And as we said, Malik Willis, really all is he all he's going to have to do is hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. And then once Henry establishes himself against a bad Houston defense, you could start to heat up the play action. So that's a pretty solid game plan and a pretty easy game plan, quite frankly, for the Titans coaching staff. You wish, probably as a Colts fan out there, that that would have been the recipe when Sam Ellinger got his chance midseason, the first time that Matt Ryan was benched, that you could have established Jonathan Taylor. Unfortunately, he has been dealing with those ankle injuries all year. Already been noted that Jonathan Taylor's out for the rest of the year. But I think, Jimmy, if you're a Colts fan, you're looking at that Titans situation saying, why can't that be our guy? As easy as establishing our star running back and then having the rookie quarterback settle in a little bit and not needing Sam Ellinger to throw the ball 35 times. Well, you and I, I think are in the same camp to an extent in that conversation because this was a across the board, which is why I, I blame Chris Ballard for a lot of the situation, is that the offensive line that has been put together this year has regressed tremendously to a point that I think Jonathan Taylor while he's taken a step back, while he has dealt from the injuries this season, the offensive line and the lack there of holes made it very difficult for him to have a repeat season like he did last year. Even half as good of a season as he did last year. And to that end, for me, we talk about how the Colts have to fix their own problems and they can't worry about as much what the rest of the South is doing. But BK, if you look just back a couple of weeks... You can never bank on Ryan Tannehill being out for the season, but you talk about a missed opportunity. The Colts were supposed to be in this two-horse race with the Titans. Can you imagine looking at the rest of this schedule as a Colts fan if this team is either built a little bit differently or is able to put together half of the expectations they had for Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor? This is them included in this race down the wire. And Colts fans are, even though you never celebrate injuries, you are welcoming the fact that Malik Willis is going to be out there to close this stretch run for the Titans. And you're excited about your chances to make the playoffs. Now, instead, you're back thinking about what could have been. You continue to look and point blame at the certain areas of this roster that failed you. And if Willis balls out, then you realize you are truly, in fact, behind the eight ball like we all think they are in terms of the arms race, if you want to call it that with young quarterback talent, the next iteration of the AFC South. It's really easy to say that you're going to worry about yourself and not focus on what, what else is happening, but it's really hard to do so. That's like being in high school and you're dealing in a class and a kid that you sit next to always does better on tests than you and then you go to basketball practice and the kid that you're competing for minutes with just continues to hit threes during practice and he's getting the minutes over you. It's really easy to focus on yourself that, okay, I need to study more. Okay, I need to hit the gym more. Okay, I need to be in the weight room at 6 a.m. But it's really hard to do so when that other guy is also there at the same time and doing the same amount of work as you are. And on top of that, 
you can worry about yourself, but BK, you see it all the time. We're seeing baseball right now. Like, look what the Mets are doing. The Mets, and, I, and again, I, I understand that's the money aside. You have to pause for me for a second. I'm not saying the Colts need to go out and spend $800 million in total money. Couldn't do it anyway with the salary cap. But there are certain aspects of arms races and trying to acquire other pieces to make your team better. Obviously, the Colts can't do that right now, but you look at the moves that have been made around the South, and suddenly you're like, I need to change some things. I need to make moves in order to try to catch up to my foes in the South. The good news for the Colts right now, and everybody knows this, the South is horrendous. It is not a hard leap to catch back up for the time being. Trevor Lawrence takes another leap next year. Some Colts fans I've talked to and just you know, people that follow the team closely, you worry that, and again, this is a, a super panic vibe by Colts fans, but you worry that if Trevor Lawrence lives up to the hype that he was touted with in college, that now it's suddenly the Jaguars, not the Colts, that have the generational quarterback under center for the next 10 years that are helping them dominate the division, and it's the Colts, not the Jaguars, that are from the back of the pack trying to catch up. And that's the, the situation they're in right now because they've tried to put a Band-Aid on a team they fooled themselves in to thinking is a contender when they're not. They are a couple pieces that are glaring issues that need to be fixed, especially along the offensive line and at quarterback. And until they get those figured out, if they keep trying to put a Band-Aid on this with another retread veteran, I don't see how it ends any differently. I do want to talk about the Pacers, Jimmy, but first, you brought up the baseball thing. This is something that must be addressed right now. The Mets are going to have their payroll this year. Yep. You want to take a guess at it? You know the number? I think it's like 512, right? $495 million 495, okay. is their payroll this year. That is more than the combined payroll of, you ready? The A's, the Brewers, the Guardians, the Marlins, the Nationals, the Orioles, the Pirates, the Rays, the Reds, the Royals, and the Twins. That Jesus. is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 teams! <laughs> 11 teams! More than a combined payroll of those 11. You know, I was just waiting for you to throw in my Cincinnati Reds because I was like, I know this I is figured easily. they would be grouped in there somewhere, too. I thought they would have been one of the first teams with Oakland. But you're a baseball guy, so let me ask you this. Does Some the MLB, would say. <laughs> does the MLB need to institute, like, a, a salary? No, like because... Like they do in, uh, like in the NFL, like a salary cap. No, I don't think it would work just because there are just so many positions and so many roles you have to fill, but I do think they need to expand on the luxury tax because it's starting to get a bit out of hand. No disrespect, disrespect to your Yankees, Jimmy, because... I they mean, can- Hal's, Hal's asked for it. Hal has asked for, like, at all those meetings, whether that's because he doesn't want to spend or whether it's because he really cares about competitive balance, Hal Steinbrenner has asked for those type of further restrictions to penalties for people just spending and spending and spending. Yeah, I don't think you need an official salary cap. I don't think that would work in the yeah, game. I don't think it would either. Just with the massive contracts, and uh, as our friend Alexa Ross has said a lot here in town from CBS4, uh, money and contracts don't exist in baseball. It's all fake. It's, it's, it's all fake. It doesn't actually do anything. But in, in all seriousness, a salary cap wouldn't work, but if you extend on the luxury tax, that might bring the Yankees down a tad, that might bring the Mets down a tad, and then especially the Dodgers. I mean, what the Dodgers did, Jimmy, from 2018 to 2021 was just ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it was insane. So. And, and now Steve 
Cohen has taken that and, and dwarfed and, it, <laughs> like, like like makes it look like you're the a Dodgers look like Neptune spending. at yes, this point. Exactly. Steve Cohen looks like Jupiter. Exactly. Uh, I, last thing on the Colts, so we'll talk some Pacers. Fernando Ramirez is going to join us at twelve thirty. He covers the Chargers out in L.A. for uh, the Sporting News, and Fernando does a great job. I actually met him when he was in South Bend covering Notre Dame football. He's back at home now, though in L.A. Brandon Gauden, play-by-play voice for Fox Sports, the Big Ten Network, the voice of Madden, former voice of Butler basketball with us at 1, Kevin Bowen at one thirty, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts at 2, the Jaguars, they arguably, Jimmy, were at rock bottom in some way after the Urban Meyer stuff. In terms of embarrassment to the organization, when you get thoroughly embarrassed like that and everybody in the league is talking about you for the wrong reason and nobody in the league wants to come play for you, to me, that's a form of rock bottom. The Colts hit rock bottom from an on-the-field perspective, from 45 points or whatever it was in Dallas to the biggest comeback in NFL history. So two forms of rock bottom for sure. Jaguars, uh, off-the-field embarrassment pretty much. Colts, on-the-field embarrassment. The Jaguars, in some way, and give Saad Khan, their owner, a lot of credit for this, they were able to rebound from that by sticking with their young quarterback that they trusted and paid a lot of money out of the draft, but they got him the right coach and then the right weapons. That is a blueprint, Jimmy, certainly to look at. Yeah, I mean, the the biggest thing, regardless of who you're going to be as a contender, whether you're doing it via an elite quarterback or a quarterback that you've drafted young, or whether you are being balanced and high-level at other positions, like having a top-tier defense or like having a great running game and a decent to pedestrian quarterback like the Titans had with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, is who is captaining the ship? Who is pulling the strings? And on the one hand, sometimes it meshes together. Like, a lot of people have issues with Brandon Staley. A lot of people don't like that he relies a little bit too heavily on analytics or he takes chances too often or, or some of his play calling. But he has what is perceived as a generational quarterback in Justin Herbert under center to where it covers that up. And you can actually go and convert those chances that maybe a team like Tennessee might not be going for. So my my larger point in that is that it is imperative to nail the coaching hire. Nail somebody that uh, it's not just about uh, setting a precedent on work ethic. That's great. But it's somebody that has a track record of success that is willing to be a part of a rebuild and that knows that it's going to take a year or two to get things on track. Now, all coaches are going to tell you we want to win. We want to win now. Everybody wants to win. Nobody's down in competitive spirit. I don't know if Doug Peterson thought right away when he came in here, yes, we're going to compete for the division. I'm sure in his heart as a coach, he probably did. But as he's looking at everything, it's like, it's going to be tough. It's going to take a lot of hard work to get there. The hard work's paid off. Trevor Lawrence has taken a sophomore leap. There's no sophomore slump for him here. And this second final stretch of the season is going to be very telling to where the hierarchy of the AFC South is. And I say that again. I'm going to take shots at the AFC South all day because we know how bad it is. Look across the league. It is what it is. Just because it's a competitive division doesn't mean that it's a good division. Doesn't mean that whoever wins this division, I'm probably going to bet against them with whoever they play, whoever they host in that playoff game, in the wild card round. So that aspect aside, you can still appreciate the drama of a competitive division, albeit a bad one, and look and see, is this Trevor Lawrence's arrival as a, again, not a top, top quarterback, not Josh Allen, not Patrick Mahomes, not even Justin Herbert, but as a rising star in this league. And are the Jaguars all of a sudden now the team to beat? 
That's Jimmy Cook on Twitter at VJ Cook. I'm Brendan King at B King Sports. Eddie Garrison is here at Eddie Garrison underscore Nathaniel also in the studio. By the way, Jennifer, happy Festivus Eve. Eddie, I understand in the YouTube chat you don't understand that, which is kind of a shame. But it is Festivus Eve. I like I told her, I understand like the reference that it's from Seinfeld, but I've never watched the show. I got a lot of problems with you people. You better figure it out, Eddie. Uh, We are on YouTube. You can join us. We are with you until 3. It looks a tad disgusting outside. That is going to turn to snow a little bit later. Indiana Pacers, they don't have to deal with that because now they're heading to Miami after beating the Boston Celtics 117-112 last night. Jimmy, they were up monstrous at halftime. Boston came back in the second, but as Tyrese Halliburton put in the first clips that Eddie played off the show's start, they were able to lock it down. I want to apologize for even the slightest hesitation on the plus 10 yesterday at me going, That's oh, right. I could That's, probably yeah. scoop that. Might That's be able to hit. Because, it, it, granted, it got close at the end, but far and away, at least in terms of dominating a team that is viewed as where you want to be, like the Pacers one day, it, it's, it's very hard to chase a team like the Celtics, but it's not impossible, Right. The Pacers one day want to have a young core that has developed into a championship contender that is having opportunities to go capture a Larry O'Brien trophy, much like the Celtics are right now. It's one game in the regular season. It's tough to overreact to it too much, but you can still celebrate it without overreacting. And by far, one of the most impressive performances and not just across the game, but the fact they survived Boston's late close and were able to close that game out, something that they've had ups and downs with throughout the year. So I I tip the cap to the Pacers and the performance by Halliburton. Uh, The idea, like, whatever, if you're you're a hot take artist in New York and you're wanting to uh, make a... I mean, well, Zerbeck doesn't need to make a name for himself, right? His name carries himself. But if you want to try to go viral... That was just so confusing. I mean, like, I just don't... like It's like like Paul Allen the other day uh, taking shots, the Colts punter, right? Like, what? It's Bush League. What are we doing? Like, it's... There's no... Nothing is gained from that. And you look foolish trying to rag on somebody like Halliburton, who is an all-star level player, is a highly talented guard, and deserves all the roses that he's going to get as a player in this league. Yeah, Jimmy, I I do want to say something about that, because I I did tweet last night, if you're not familiar, it's on my Twitter at Sports. somebody put together clips of Paul Allen, and again... We loved having him on the show last week. We were honored to have him. He has made an excellent broadcast career in the NFL for himself, clearly, because he's been doing it for a long time, and he's been the Vikings' voice forever. But it was completely out of line by this guy. If you check out the video on my Twitter right now at King Sports, somebody put together a montage and a TikTok of all of his calls of homerism. But, Jimmy, it was just over the line, and we've seen it here in Indy now on two spectrums the last week. We've seen it with this guy, Allen, in Minnesota. Now we've seen it with Wally Serbiak, a guy, as you said, that does not need to do something like right. this. I, I don't know if in the... I, I, what channel are the Knicks on? Is it... Uh, it's, not, M- yes. it's 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 uh, MS... Is it MSN? It's, it's Market Square like, Network. Yeah, that's right. Okay, lines. so I, I don't know if the producer is like, hey, hey, Wally, we need more hot takes. And nobody's ever told us that. Thankfully, Jimmy, here at the fan, we've each been told to do our own thing, and it's never been, okay, you need to be more vicious or you need to spew more hot takes. The Wally Serbiak stuff, either he's got a problem with Tyrese or somebody told him to say that because I've watched a lot of his analysis, Jimmy, on Fox, especially when he does Big E stuff. I've never had a problem with the guy. So either he's got a personal problem with Tyrese Halliburton or somebody told him to do that. 
And the you're ca- trying to break the camera. Yeah, man, the suit is just. You know, you keep banging on the table and it keeps knocking over the camera. I'm pa- we're passionate that, today, Jim. I thought that was thunder snow. I thought we were just yeah. the storms already we're, arriving. We're passionate MSG today, Eddie. Uh, it's MSG networks. We're MSG close. network. But yeah, I mean, I just like I don't I don't get it. Like, th- there's a difference between having like a factual basis for why you don't like a player or why you think that, but, but just like random shots, either in the middle of a game or on a post game show. Like I, I don't know. It's not needed. You can, you can be an ambassador and a Homer for Jalen Brunson without needing to take a invalid, useless side swipe at Tyrese Halliburton. You, you could be an NFL Homer and without saying that, the opposing team's punter is terrible or in the waiting moments of the game saying, you cheaters, you cheaters, you deserve to lose, you cheat." I'm serious. That's what it is, no, guys. I I Go know. look I it know. up. I know. Go look it up, guys. I'm still, it is, I'm still baffled by it. And I'm because, baffled because, because out, he was a nice guy. And outside of that point, outside of the cheaters line and outside of the punter, like, it wasn't I, that bad. I, no, but I can, I can get behind, I can't really get behind it, but like as a homer, if that's what you're going to do, I can get, Criticizing your own players, I suppose. Like he got mad at Jalen Rieger for that. Being targeted I thought by, that was a little bit. Overboard. I thought it was too, but like I'm willing to be like, okay, that's your team. That's fine. Criticize your team as much as you want, I suppose. If you have the level of clearance that he does with the Vikings, great. But there's no reason to like if if there was data to back it up that doesn't belong in the league. Like that, I just the whole thing. Whole thing was Bush League. Zerbiak was Bush League. We move on, but at the end of the day. It's tough because the uh, whatever I'm uh, <laughs> I, I just See, the whole thing the whole thing irked me he, all of it. Here's the last thing I'll say about it: that Jimmy, we both do play by play, respective different sports. But if so, for example, he talked about Jalen Rager. Him and his analyst question why Jalen Rager is still in the league, and then Paul Allen said, "Are you kidding me with this Jalen Rager stuff? What is he doing? Why do we have him?" and Jimmy, if I said something like that on a Cubs broadcast, and I was talking about a guy that has hit a buck fifty in his last ten, right? And I said, "What is this guy doing? Why don't they release him?" Jimmy, I would get a call the same night from the Cubs director of player development saying, "You need to shut the hell up, or we're going to get you out." There is a fine line between being critical of your team as a home broadcaster. Yes, which is which should be accepted in the business. You should be able to be, critical, be able to be critical to a point, but the second it gets personal, that's where lines need to be drawn. In my mind, yeah. anyway. I'm I'm glad we are on the same page with that because Jimmy, a lot of times in play by play, you see a little bit too much of the latter. And for me, I've been lucky enough over my career to have the newest Hall of Famer, Pat Hughes, as my mentor. Sure. And and the thing about Pat. And the biggest thing I've ever learned is that you are there to be the voice of the fans and you are responsible for giving a good, clean call and tell the fans exactly what's happening in the most polite way. And you don't call out people. Yep. And that's the school I'm from, Jimmy. I know that's the school you're in a similar fashion. Yep. It, it's just the best way to do it. And in the Wally Serbiak stuff, in the Paul Allen stuff, I think that's just a good benchmark for broadcasters, young broadcasters of what not to do. I'm glad that Tyrese Halliburton was able 
to give it right back to Wally with that win in Boston last night. Coming up next, we are going to get the report from out west. Fernando Ramirez, who covers the L.A. Chargers from the Sporting Tribune, will be with us. Fernando's a good buddy of mine. Met him in South Bend when he covered Notre Dame football. He is an excellent voice and expert on Chargers football as the Chargers come in the day after Christmas here into Indy. That's next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. You know, Jimmy and I put in our request today to Mr. Garrison for the tunes so you all will get to experience our tasting Christmas music. It is the last show before Christmas with the snowpocalypse on the way in Indy. A guy that does not have to worry about that is our next guest, Fernando Ramirez, because there's never a snowpocalypse in Los Angeles. And Fernando, it is wise by you that you will be staying in L.A. I do not blame you one bit for Monday Night Football between the Colts and the Chargers. My man, it is good to have you. Fernando Ramirez joins us right now. Covers the Chargers for the Sporting Tribune. Fernando, the last three for the Chargers. We were talking about it on your podcast the other day. At Indy, taking on the Rams at home, and then at Denver. What's the vibe right now for the Chargers in those last three as they compete for their play, for a hopeful playoff spot. Well, Brandon, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like The Rock says in WWE, whoa, 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 whoa. There was snow that fell in Huntington Beach on the pier. You're kidding. Oh, not by the pier, but over by the boardwalk. People are not allowed to skate. They're not allowed to ride their bikes. The apocalypse has finally happened. Wow. <laughs> so people are freaking out in L.A. because snow fell on the, on the Huntington boardwalk people are like where are we supposed to ride our bike what is going on so hey there there's there's problems out here in california it's not all sunshines and rainbows so uh so you're giving us the two excuse you're giving us the two excuse to start because it snows in alabama (laughs) sometimes (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) well to be completely honest the vibe i mean the locker room on sunday after the game after the win against the titans they were playing music there were the, the players were excited um they feel it they feel like this could be the first time uh, in a long time since 2018 that they get uh, clinch a playoff berth. They know what's on the line. And on going into the game on Monday, they're going to know if the Raiders lost, if the Jets lost, and if the Patriots lost, they clinch a wild card spot. So they're going to know going into it if, if uh, they're going to clinch it. But they know they need to take care of business. They The incredible part is the unknown because Nick Foles is now the quarterback. So that's a little bit of the unknown. Uh, if, if Brandon Staley and the coaching staff is going to go back to his Philly days, to his Bear days on watching the film, but other than that, I mean, you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get a tough, uh, a tough team. Um, they're probably more dangerous after what's happened to them the last two weeks. So the Chargers know they have to be on their P's and Q's because this could easily be a trap game uh, going into Monday night. Fernando, to kind of follow up on Brennan's question, not you, but but nationally, the Chargers are always viewed as as finally going to take the leap, at least in this Justin Herbert era, and, and catch Kansas City. Those games are always right down to the wire. 
again, even though they're second in the AFC West right now, they're finally in a position to get into the postseason and earn themselves a playoff spot. Well, what would it mean not only for, for Coach Staley's job security and, and, and just the job, the job security around the building, but also to Justin Herbert and, and his ascension into that conversation as a, a top-tier quarterback in the league if he's not there already? Well, obviously, there's no sugarcoating it. I mean, Sean Payton's been—he's been out there saying, "Oh, I'd love to take a job in Los Angeles." Uh, obviously, there's been a little bit of fire under Tom Telesco as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was firing them, and now all of a sudden, everybody's praising him. It's uh, funny how quickly things turn in uh, in the NFL, but. Uh, obviously, for Justin Herbert, I mean, everybody views, obviously, Joe Burrow as the number one uh, quarterback in that draft. And then it's kind of a toss-up between him, Jalen Hurts, and uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Now, Justin's been the one that's had the longevity. He doesn't get hurt. He well, he got hurt this season, but he doesn't miss games. Uh, he keeps you in the games. He does a lot of uh, things that – he makes a lot of throws that not a lot of quarterbacks can make. But for his ascension, he really does need to have one playoff run. Well, not one, but this needs to be uh, the first of many playoff runs uh, to start because it was um, it was pretty sad to see at the end of Philip Rivers' career. I mean, I've been around the organization since 2013, so to see the end of Philip Rivers' career, not going to the, he only went to the playoffs twice in the last like ten years of his career. That that wasn't that wasn't pretty to see. Well, he won three because he went one with the Colts. But in uh, San Diego slash LA, he only went two out of the last uh, ten years. So that was that was pretty sad to see. You don't want that to happen to Justin Herbert. You want this to be a competitive team. And the Chargers are one of those teams that if you throw in the playoffs, they could end up being uh, if they get Joey Bosa back, Erwin James back, and uh, and uh, maybe Rashawn Slater back. They could be a dangerous team because it seems like they're starting to get healthy at the right time. The defense is playing well at the right time now. The only thing, the question mark is the offense. Uh, their third quarter offense is abysmal. They have not scored a touchdown in the third quarter since uh, week five against the Cleveland Browns. So that could b- come back and bite them. But they said that they're getting it fixed, that it just takes getting all these guys back on offense. But uh, they need a, they, they still need to fix a lot of things before you can say that they're uh, they, that they could be uh, very good going into the playoffs. Joining us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com is Fernando Ramirez covering the Chargers for the Sporting Tribune out in L.A. Fernando, again, we talked a little bit earlier this week on your podcast, and you mentioned a bit of an abnormal schedule for the Chargers this week leading up to Christmas. Do you think that abnormal schedule, I'll let you expand on what exactly it is, but do you think it has something to deal with not underestimating the Colts and making sure they're ready to go on Monday? Yeah, so basically they're uh they're well, they actually switched it. So oh, they, did. they are practicing yeah, so they uh last minute they told us, Oh, Wednesday they're off, uh and now it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So but they're practicing a lot later than they usually do, so uh and Brandon Staley's been giving guys days off. Um he's been doing a lot of things to kind of save their bodies, preserve their bodies. Last year they they didn't do that down the stretch. And a lot of guys were Austin Eckler was tired, a lot of these guys were gassed towards the end of the year. And that's why they went one and three at the end of the season. And I asked Brandon Staley point blank last week, did you do you feel like you learned something off of the run that you guys had last year? He, and then he kind of looked at me and he goes, well, yeah, I, I, I feel like we did. I mean, we learned that we need to preserve these guys' bodies. And if they tell us, hey, coach, um, I'm feeling a little bit uh, tired today on a Wednesday. Hey, dude, sit out, practice. Don't worry. Just stretch. Make sure you, uh, you're taking mental reps. Make sure you're doing what you need to do to get ready for Sunday. 
And uh, and that's been pretty interesting to see. And, and that's the thing. People can criticize Brandon for whatever they want, but he really does take the players into consideration. He really does care about the players, and he has their well-being in mind. So that's why he lets guys, uh, if guys need a rest, if guys need to get extra uh, treatment, whatever they need, Brandon's all 100% for because uh, he knows how important uh, it is to have health going into this back-end stretch of the of the season. Fernando, we know on the Colts side of things, like any NFL team, there's going to be people fighting for jobs next year. No one's going to lay down and quit. But at the same time, it definitely changes things in terms of what is going to be present on the battlefield when you take out Jonathan Taylor for the season and then now Nick Foles named the starter for presumably the rest of the year. Uh, what was the reaction within the building and just on your beat with those two roster moves the Colts made this week? Well, I mean, the Jonathan Taylor thing, I, I, I mean, she kind of – he kind of needs a break, and don't you think, like, just oh, yeah. to kind of shut it down for the rest of the season, get himself back for next season and everything. And and obviously the Colts need to build on that offensive line, but uh, but the Nick Foles thing, I, I think it took a lot of us by surprise, especially because I saw a comment from him saying, oh, I haven't – I've only been the scout team quarterback, and I haven't really taken that many first-team reps. And you're kind of like, whoa, really? Like, that's pretty uh, – <laughs> That's pretty interesting to to read that. And then I saw his actual stats, and he hadn't he hasn't played since last year, week fourteen. Beat the Seahawks, baby! He beat the Seahawks. Yeah, the Seahawks. Yep, the Seahawks. It was only one game, and then the year before that, he only played nine games. So it's been pretty interesting to see kind of the career of Nick Foles going from uh, from Super Bowl MVP to kind of not even playing. So, but he's still a toss to be still dangerous. The Colts still have weapons on that team, so. The, the Chargers need to be careful because Nick Foles is a, is a guy that easily could come in there and he could carve him up. He could be a guy that could throw four picks in the game. I mean, he really is kind of that outlier that you don't know what Nick Foles you're going to get uh, come Monday night. Fernando, we were saying yesterday in the studio that instead of 20-yard Matt Ryan interceptions, you're going to get 60-yard Nick Foles interceptions. So the uh, safeties from the Chargers will just have to be ready. I, I want to talk about the Chargers offense, Fernando, specifically on a guy where we really have not known – if he's been healthy all year, that's Keenan Allen. Can you get a sense if he's at 100% and really what happened midway through the season when he came back then went to the shelf again? Yeah, so Keenan had two setbacks during the season. Uh, One of them was a lot longer than what they had expected. The other one was really short. The other one was, I think, he was out for two games and then he came back. The other one was four games. So Keenan missed about eight games this season. And right now, I think he's really starting to find his groove again with Justin Herbert. And uh, obviously, that's not going to take long because Justin can really adjust to any receiver. But Keenan obviously makes things a lot easier. Um, But Keenan got hurt during the Raider game. He was expected to come back for the Texans game, which is about three weeks later. And he kind of felt a a tug at uh, at his leg. He misses another four games. And then he was supposed to come back after the bye week. And I guess during the bye week, he tried to open it up, and he got hurt again. So he had to miss a couple of weeks, and then he came back for that uh, Kansas City Chiefs uh, Sunday night football game, and, and he was able to play, but it was kind of on a limited role. So, um, so yeah, so the Chargers, I mean, the Chargers, when they faced Kansas City this year, they haven't had both of their weapons. In the first game, they didn't have Keenan Allen. In the second game, they didn't have Mike Williams, and they had a, a probably a 75% Keenan Allen. So... That's why it'd be interesting to see them. I mean, if the Chargers would be the seventh seed, they'd get the Chiefs right away. So that'd be an interesting matchup uh, just to start off the playoffs. But um, 
but overall, Keenan seems to be finally getting healthy. He told us on Sunday he feels great. And Mike Williams, same thing. They both feel great. They feel good going into this uh, backstretch. Mike Williams missed about five games as well. So, uh, like I said, the Chargers trying to get healthy at the at the right time. I mean, I've seen this before in the past where Philip Rivers led teams at the end of the season. They would get healthy and then make a run at the end. So this kind of this kind of has a similar feeling where these guys are getting healthy. And like I said, if they can get Joey back, if they can get uh, Derwin back, and if they can get Rashawn back, then that that's just going to help them even more because uh, those are three pivotal pillars to the Chargers uh, franchise. For Justin Herbert, Fernando, obviously we're only 14 games in, so it remains to be seen. It, it might be a tough battle, but if he has three outstanding games and he plays in all three, uh, he could potentially get around his career mark for passing yards. But again, he's about a thousand yards back. So again, it would take three really impressive games, but the interceptions are down. It's felt like at times this year, he's more patient in the pocket, uh, letting things develop, not afraid to, to trust the offensive line. What's been your biggest difference here in year three of Justin Herbert compared to the first two? So, and uh, just bear with me because some people kind of look at me like, okay, so the way I've seen it this year, every quarterback has to, at one point or another, they have to they have to learn how to be without their we- their main weapons sure. at times. That's when you're really going to learn what kind of quarterback you have. Justin Herbert was without Mike Williams and Keenan Allen for four games, and yes, they went two and two in that stretch. And but they went toe to toe with the 49ers, almost beat the 49ers. They went toe to toe against Kansas City, almost beat Kansas City. So that's the growth that you've seen from Justin Herbert this year. Patrick Mahomes had to learn how to do that. Yep. Patrick Mahomes doesn't have Tyree Kill. Yes, he has Travis Kelsey, but he's had to learn how to get uh, how to uh, how to get it done with, um, with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. How to get it done with other receivers that are not Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill is a cheat code. We all know that. But he had to learn how to dial it up. Uh, before, when I used to watch Mahomes, and people, this is where people get a little bit uh, weird out when I say this. When I used to watch Mahomes could throw a beautiful ball to Travis Kelsey or Tyree Kill. He necessarily couldn't do that to McCole Hartman. The other receivers, sometimes he would overthrow, underthrow. It, it was a little bit different. But this year, he's really been on the money with these guys, and it's because he's learning how to be without his top receivers. And uh, and he's really that's why I think Mahomes is the MVP this year because he's taken that next step into his ascension into being one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. And I, I really think that he's taken that next step, and it's been very impressive. Now Justin had to learn how to do that this year as well without Keenan Allen, without Mike Williams, and he had to be with guys like DeAndre Carter, guys like uh, Michael Bandy, uh, who's an undrafted free agent out of uh, USD. And then he had to be with Josh Palmer uh, here and there. So it, it, it's been a, a tough transition. His number, his touchdown numbers are down a little bit. But I think in the long run, it's going to help him, especially if you want to turn into that Tom Brady, Peyton Manning guy who you can turn an Austin Colley into a star receiver. Or like Guys like that, you want, to, you want to be able to build on guys who maybe aren't the best, but they're going to help you uh, win games. They're going to catch touchdown passes. So that's honestly my fair evaluation. I think that stretch where Justin had to go without his top guys really showed you what kind of quarterback he is. And uh, I really do think the future is is extremely bright uh, for Justin Herbert. Fernando, if the <clears throat> if the Chargers make the playoffs, but let's say it's an early round exit, would Brandon Staley's job be in jeopardy? I don't think so, just because it's about getting to the playoffs. Um, and honestly, what he's done with this team, this team has gone through the really highs, the really lows this season. 
and the team hasn't quit on him. So that's been very impressive. The team still believes in him. They believe in his message. They believe in what he's feeding them. So that's been very impressive to see. I mean, to be honest, like, and I'm not saying, uh, I mean, it, it is impressive to see, especially with everything that's happened this year. I mean, easily he could have lost the locker room uh, at certain points in the season, and he hasn't. So that's been very impressive to see. So I think if they make the playoffs, Brandon Saley uh, does return as the head coach for next season. Fernando Ramirez, he covers the Chargers for the Sporting Tribune, an excellent guy who actually met in South Bend while he covered Notre Dame football. Fernando, back on the West Coast. Fernando, we appreciate the time and hope you have fun covering the club the rest of the year, my man. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, stay safe out there, guys. And Merry Christmas to everybody. And I hope everybody has a great holiday season and, and stays uh, try to stay stay warm during uh, what's going on out there with uh, the snow. Merry Christmas, man. Hope people don't uh, slip too much on that boardwalk, eh? <laughs> hey, you, hey, everybody needs to be careful. Caution out there because you never know what can happen. <laughs> uh, Fernando, appreciate the time, man. See ya. Thanks, Fernando. Thank you. Fernando Ramirez on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and powered tools. That reminds me of when my parents first got their place down in Florida in Naples. We went down for the first time like when I was 10 and it was really cold. It got to be like 50 or so degrees. So we'd go to dinner and like people are wearing parkas, Jimmy. It, it, it is nuts. The Midwest is built different. They just pull out the salt shakers to, to take care of that ice. Don't have to worry about big What trucks. did I just tell you? It's too bad. <laughs> this is the show before Christmas, Eddie. We are... I, the camera did not move. We're doing fine. Yeah, for now. <laughs> Well, plus we're going to break anyway. You can fix it. Uh, I'm Brendan King with Jimmy <laughs> Cook and Andy Garrison with Nathaniel. Pack Studio on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. All the Christmas jams across the board by Eddie Garrison. To my right, Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. Last show before Christmas. Last show before Monday pregame action into Monday Night Football when the Colts take on the Chargers. It was announced yesterday or throughout this week, but but the designation was announced yesterday that Quentin Nelson had made his fifth straight Pro Bowl, which made him the first player in Colts history to appear in the Pro Bowl his first five seasons. And on the one hand, Woo-hoo. I don't I don't pay attention to the Pro Bowl uh, that often because it some a lot of its fan vote, the All Pro designations where it's really at to measure the elite of the elite, and he's. What won that four times, I think. But we talk about the ups and downs of this team, and I understand at the end of the day that winning is all that matters, and I understand that I, like many, don't agree with the Quentin Nelson contract, but there's a fair case for Grover Stewart being snubbed from the Pro Bowl. That's something that a lot of guys still do care about, even though, again, it's it's a, it's a, a number of factors that go into the Pro Bowl process. Quentin Nelson, you would expect nothing less from him, but Kevin Bowen in the media scrum today asked him about the Pro Bowl selection, and one of the first things out of his mouth was that uh, he wished he could give his Pro Bowl start to Grover Stewart. And I, I, I appreciate that. 
Again, I know winning is all that matters. I know that 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 the idea of these human interest stories don't really move the needle for a lot of people, but it does for some. And the money will continue to be pegged to Quentin Nelson, regardless of how well that he plays. But that is the kind of man that he is, and I I think that's a great gesture, and I I appreciate him saying that because that's they're still teammates, still human beings, and I, I do feel for Grover Stewart, even though at the end of the day. And that proves it right there with those comments. They don't really care about the individual accolades. He'd rather give it to a teammate than he would have it his own. And they'd also be rather winning games than it would be worrying about Pro Bowl selections. I'd love to win some games instead of going to the yep. Pro Bowl. But yep. I, I will throw in the names I hear Franklin, too, Jimmy, yep. because if there is somebody that really deserves it when it comes to it would actually really mean something because, again, Grover Stewart, I think it would mean something to him. But at the end of the day, Grover Stewart has been paid. I think he has further aspirations than the Pro Bowl. Sure. Zaire Franklin was a backup special teams guy, for, with all due respect. Yeah. And he grinded his way to becoming a regular linebacker type role player. Um, he grinded with Bubba Ventrone. He's been working under multiple defensive coordinators now, right? So I think if there's somebody that deserves it just in the grand scheme of their work, it's yeah. Zaire Franklin because he has now pushed himself to filling in for Shaq Leonard. Who knows what that injury situation is ever going to be like again because that's a thought, Jimmy, where you were actually concerned for that guy's life right? dealing with that stuff, let alone a career managing those injuries so the fact that franklin has stepped up in such a role has paired and gelled well with bobby okarake and nearly leads the league in tackles yeah. zaire franklin to me is the biggest snub C- couldn't agree more on that front and for those that because i know what happens look i'm i have my fandoms too right i get it oh why are they talking about the pro bowl they should talk about winning i hate the pro bowl personally because somebody asked them the question like that's what drives me nuts you're having a whole media scrum you're hearing one clip of quentin nelson talk about it yes they're asking about the chargers yes they're asking them about where the direction is and the vibe of the locker room is but there's only so many ways that you can ask a player hey why do you guys suck so bad Right, like there, there just is. There's only so many ways you can do that. So if you're in here, like, oh, well, they talk like not us talking about the Pro Bowl because I also am not a big fan of the Pro Bowl. It, it's continued to fail as an All Star event. My larger point though is that why are the Colts talking about it if that's your complaint? Because somebody asked them. Because it's a storyline. Because they made the announcement this week. So I don't have a ton of time for that. Yes, the Colts are still frustrated about losing, but at the same time, it is a topic of the day. And you, again, you can only ask why are you so bad so many different ways. That's Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. Speaking of somebody who's not bad, in fact, speaking of somebody Very who's good. excellent, Brendan Gunn, play-by-play announcer for Fox, for Big Ten Network, and the voice of Madden, joins us next on The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. Last show before the Christmas holiday arrives. Our next guest via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com. You know him 
from his original days as the voice of the Butler Bulldogs. We might also know him as the voice of Madden, as well as action on Fox, BTN, and Westwood One, a mentor to many a broadcaster, including myself and my co-host, the great Brendan King. It is the legend himself, Brandon Gauden, taking some time with us today. Always appreciate you, BG, and want to start off by playing after wishing you a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, of course. Uh, where in the world is Brandon Gauden? What's on the uh, what's on the docket for the weekend slate, my friend? <laughs> Happy Holidays is a kind introduction. Good to be with you guys. I, uh, I was at Michigan State last night, and actually I just got to my parents' place down in Texas and going to be here for the next three days just to put the feet up, a little R&R, and celebrate Christmas with the family. So looking forward to it. Love it, BG. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you, my man. Uh, what's the post-holiday schedule like for you? Does it heat up pretty well? Yeah, it does. I mean, basketball's full swing. I have one more uh, NFL game week 18 um, there in January, but it'll be... A lot of hoops, which is great. Uh, That's always, for me, the highlight is when you kind of, you get out of that Christmas time and everyone's down a little bit and I don't want to be done with the holidays, but then basketball heats up and being from Indiana and uh, being a guy who grew up on basketball, that's always the time when people start to shift away from football and focus on hoops. And and that's a fun time of year. So it'll be, uh, you know, the last gosh, four years now I've, I've had a mix of big 10 and big East. And that's, that's kind of what it is this year, Uh, December 31st, I'll be at Xavier January 1st at Michigan, January 2nd at Purdue. So it'll be ringing in, the, ringing in the new year on the hardwood. BJ, stick with a Greg on for a second, uh, Brandon. When you're looking at the idea of a title race unfolding right in front of your eyes, and I know that that can happen anytime you're in different lines of work, but in particular I'm highlighting the Big Ten title race. Uh, you, have, of course, were on the call for Iowa and Nebraska. Uh, just take me through that last stretch of play within the Big Ten, Brandon, of, of the stakes that were on the line for Iowa, and then the fallout, of course, that happened uh, after your broadcast is that Big Ten title picture, at least on that side of the conference, brought itself yeah. into form. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, with the Big Ten, everyone keeps saying on the football side of things that, oh, the East is great and the West is not very good. And everyone understands that, yes, the East has Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State and Ohio State. And and everyone understands that the East has more talent than the West. But I actually think that the West is still a good division with a lot of fun football. And that played out this year. And, and some people say, oh, it's just a bunch of bad teams who kept giving up the title and losing it. Okay, well, yeah, you could look at it that way. I thought we had a lot of fun games in the West that went right down to the end, and that includes somehow Purdue being able to sneak in when Iowa looked like they for sure were going to win the West, having to just beat Nebraska, who had struggled this year. Then Nebraska beats them on the last week of the season, opens a door for the Boilermakers. And even though Purdue didn't get it done against Michigan, uh, obviously, it was still, a, 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 in my opinion, a good season for the Boilermakers. And I know there, there were some mixed thoughts on Jeff Brom going to Louisville, but I, I think that that's a program that for so long was good 
and then had 10 years of just real struggle and some dark times. And now I feel like Purdue football has gotten back to a level where it should be. And I think with their new coach, for those who don't know who came from Illinois, mm-hmm. I, I think that, that they can have a chance here to not miss a beat and continue to go up and up and up and become a, a force in the Big Ten year after year. BG, in your mind, how much is the Big Ten as a league going to change when USC and UCLA comes in and then you pair that with a 12-team playoff? Yeah, it's going to change. I mean, it's just going to be so different. There's, in my mind, growing up and just knowing the, the delineation that we used to have between conferences and how those lines have been blurred. And I am excited for it. I truly am. Now, I may say this, and people may say that I feel otherwise. That's not, that's not the case when I say this. It's just when you think UCLA and USC, you just think what used to be the Pac-10, Pac-12. And that I just never in my life thought that I'm going now 15 years ago, in my, in my wildest dreams, did I think that those two teams would be in the same league with not only a, you know an Ohio State and Indiana Purdue but a Rutgers and a Maryland. It just, it almost seems like this bizarro world that we're getting ready to enter, but this is the new age of college athletics. And it's one of those things where, look, you can sit there and complain about it and pout about it. So oh, I, I remember when, and I wish, and, but <laughs> this is it. And, and NIL is here and it, it's just the, it's the reality. Now we need to figure out ways forward. I think that makes sense for everybody in that NIL world but keeping tune with just the question of those teams in the Big Ten, what does it change? It just first and foremost changes logistics so much. And I understand that with the increased TV revenue, a lot of these teams are going to be able to charter out their private planes. And But still, it's just different going out and incorporating those schools into the conference in so many ways. I think football is just going to be an interesting I'm curious to see how the schedule works. I think that's what I'm interested to see the most. When do you play those teams? How often are you having to go out there? And let's be honest, are there more dominoes to fall here? And I don't have any insider information, but at some point does Oregon come in? Does Washington come in? Does Stanford? I I don't know. I think it would be foolish for us to sit here and say, no, everything's done and this is it. This might be it for now, but I think at some point you could see a situation where more dominoes are falling and then who the heck knows uh, what happens. But look, here's the bottom line. For those who want to move forward with it and and be excited about it, this is a great thing, and that's just kind of how I'm choosing to approach it personally. Brendan Gunn, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and themotorshop.com. Go see the Motor Shop for all your residential and commercial mowers as well as power tools, equipment, and snowblowers going to need those here very, very soon at the motor shop. As very soon as in five hours <laughs> yes, from now. Yeah, you better get going right now before this uh, rain turns to ice at the motor shop at fishersthemotorshop.com. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Gauden. Brandon, to BK's point, I feel like at least from our perspective, we've been focusing a lot because it's still the, you know, the top domino at stake of the sports season right now. We're focusing on the college football side of things with that USC and UCLA addition to the Big Ten here in a couple years. How, in your mind, will it reshape or impact at all the basketball side of things? Oh, it will. I mean, there's no question. And again, I I think that sometimes we overlook 
the travel and even on chartered flights, how many times are you having to go out there and play those teams? And again, people hear me bring up travel and they probably think, Oh, he's complaining that they've got to take a four or five hour flight out both ways. Now it's also a three hour time change. And you've got, if you're, if you're Rutgers and you're going out there and you're playing on a Wednesday, well, what time's the game? What time are you getting back? How are you handling the logistics for all of these different sports? Look, football and men's basketball, they drive the bus. That's just the reality because financially right now they make the most money. That doesn't mean the other sports aren't important. Of course they are. There's some great revenue-producing sports outside of those. But those two have been kind of driving the decision. And to to think that it's not going to change uh, a lot outside of just the fans turning on a game and seeing USC and UCLA in the Big Ten, it's just going to change a lot for these kids, a lot for these coaches. It's going to change recruiting. Now, recruiting has always, or I shouldn't say always, but has become more of a national game for a lot of the teams in the Big Ten anyway. But does it open the door even more for them to look out west for kids in Southern California? Of course it does. I mean, there's just no question. And so I think it, 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 it while it's exciting, it's in one way to say, wow, we get to open the recruiting a little bit more. It's a challenge to go out there and recruit a little bit further away from home as well. Um, so, look, you know, overall, it's a positive. It's in, it, it, this is a business. The stu- they are student athletes, and I hope that we keep that in mind, that they do have to go to class and all that. That's very important. But it's naive of us not to see this as a business. This was a business decision. It's financially more money for these conferences, for the conference, for the schools, and with NIL, that in turn is ultimately going to mean more money for these kids playing playing these sports. Um, so hopefully it's, it's a net positive. I still think there are so many things that we have not figured out on the NIL side. And I know you guys didn't ask about that, but I just that, that's, that's a world right now that coaches are talking about every day, that we've got to figure this out. We have to find a way forward that is somewhat more equitable and less chaotic. Uh, and, and I think that's where my focus is in the next five to, say, ten years is when are we going to start answering some of these questions that these coaches are asking uh, because it, it really is becoming the wild, wild west in a lot of ways. Hmm. Brandon Gunn's with us. BG, as you said at the top of the interview, <clears throat> you're beat the Big East and the Big Ten. I think, BG, when everybody talks about what games they do in the league they're in, they always like to brag about the competitiveness of it. But truly, when it comes to your work, especially on the hardwood, on a game-by-game basis, I don't think you see a lot of wars like you see in the Big East and the Big Ten nowadays, especially. No, and what I was uh, last night on the broadcast with Bruce Weber, and Bruce, of course, was at Illinois, and he was at Kansas State, and he, he was talking about off the air before the game, just the different conferences that he's coached in and the different stops he's had in non-conference play. And we were talking about the Big Ten first and then the Big East and just how the fan bases for college basketball and those leagues are just really good and really consistent. Outside of maybe I can think of a couple exceptions to what I'm about about to say, but all of the teams in both leagues, when you go on the road, not even in conference play, when you're just covering them in non-conference play, there are packed houses pretty much everywhere. And basketball is a big event. And that's not the case everywhere. Sure, in the SEC, you've got a couple. You, you know, you go to Kentucky, you go to Florida. There's some places where there are some good atmospheres. 
But there are some places in the SEC, in the Pac-12, even the Big 12, where you can go on a Wednesday night in a conference game and maybe there's 5,000 people there. And you just don't really see that in, in the Big Ten and the Big East because they're such basketball-hungry schools. Uh, and so that, that, that just makes it fun. It's just, yeah, the old cliches about, you know, throw out the record books and there's no easy wins. Yeah, we, we hear all that and there's a lot of truth in that. But there's also just an incredible appetite for the sport on a lot of these campuses. And to me, when January, February, and of course March rolls around, uh, that's what makes these conferences so much fun to cover. Brandon, kind of zooming out big picture within college basketball, I I feel like this gets thrown around casually every year, but this might actually be the year that it holds water. Obviously, uh, Purdue and UConn both undefeated, but but across the board, when you look at the top 25 and just across college basketball as a whole, is this the most wide open that it's been to start a season uh, in, in, in quite some time? Yeah, I, th- I do think this. I think that there has, over the last, call it 10 years, been pretty consistent parity, even though we usually have a few teams like, ah, yeah, they might be a little bit above everybody else. I would say, though, that this year it it is maybe even that to another degree. So I agree with your point. I I love Purdue, and I just just think Matt Painter is as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but, but Purdue right now at number one, do they have weaknesses that I'm curious to see if other teams can exploit? Yeah, absolutely. And I was there when Davidson was exploiting them. You know, when Purdue was not able to knock down outside shots, and they were they were struggling. And so I, I think that the, the thing this year, even though Connecticut's good too, is that you're right. If you go through each conference, there's not any team where you say, hmm, they are head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, Connecticut in the Big East is probably the closest example. But even when you put, put Connecticut on a national level, I don't. I don't think that they are just your clear top team in the country. Um, so it's going to be. This is going to be just a, a lot of fun to see how these conferences unfold. And and specific to the Big East, you know, for so many years, even if Villanova wasn't the clear number one, they were just always kind of the presumptive. Ah, they'll find a way. They'll be a one or two seed, maybe a three seed, and, and they're the class of the Big East. And. I don't think it's fair to just say it's because Jay Wright is gone because I think Kyle Neptune is a good coach, but it's just not the case this year. And I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward, but just speaking of this year, Villanova has a different feel. And so because of that, the Big East has a different, more wide-open feel, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to track uh, January, February, and March. BG, no time like the NCAA tournament for sure, but I think we just saw again last year, not to bring up tough wounds for Purdue, but what happened with the St. Peter's story. And in your mind, with all this parity in college basketball, does a St. Peter's happen more often now because of just the wild, wild west feel of the transfer portal? Or is it just because that we just continue to see better athletes countrywide? I think, yeah, I don't. I think the St. Peter's thing is cool. I think sometimes in our mind we romanticize this idea that Cinderellas are happening more and more. Granted, we had never seen a 15 seed get that far, and I understand that. So that was the first time. But if you actually just look year over year at the number of, of upsets seed-wise and teams going deep into the tournament, it's really been pretty consistent. Um, 
so I know we, we, you know, you think about the George Mason and then VCU Butler, um, even though now Butler no longer is that cute, cuddly story. Um, and then to the more extreme St. Peter's, these have kind of always been weaved throughout our history. And I don't know that they're happening anymore, but here's what has happened in college basketball is because of all of the transferring and specific right now to being able to transfer without penalty you're getting guys that have a good season at like a Towson or a Northeastern and they're averaging 16 points a game and they're done with their sophomore year and other schools start knocking on their door and saying, Hey, want to come play in front of 12,000 a night and compete for going to the NCAA tournament and national championship. And that's tough for a kid to say no to. And so you have these kids transferring up to places like, you know, you name it, Indiana, Virginia, all these top schools. And then you have the opposite. You have the four-star recruit that goes to the big-time school, that may go to Kentucky, that may go to Duke, that all of a sudden looks after his sophomore year and says, man, I'm only playing nine minutes a game. I'm averaging two points. Let me go to Drexel where I can make a name for myself. I can start, I can play 32 minutes a game, and I could score 15 points, five, and maybe that'll help me get a career if not in the NBA over in Europe. Um, and so th- this this kind of constant back and forth that we're starting to see, which really started way before NIL, way before, but now has just been just ex- accelerated, I think is only going to continue and continue until they try to find some way to, to balance this out. Um, but that's where college basketball is really not only going, it's where it is and it's where it's changing. There is good in it. For the kids, and I understand that, and I don't want to limit that. For us as fans, what's different is that growing up, knowing that you were going to see guys on your team that you were cheering for for three or four years, and you watched them grow and develop, and you knew their jersey numbers and their stories, to me that was a lot of fun. And that is just kind of the exception, not the rule now, and it just makes it hard you're kind of you're cheering just for a jersey when you used to cheer for a jersey and the kids wearing them, and now the kids are so transient that it's becoming difficult. So that, that that's going to be something to see and track and watch over again the next five ten years to see how they wrangle that in. Um, but it, it makes college basketball certainly different these days. There's no question about it. Bryn Goddard joining us on the Mower Shop and Fishers Hotline and the MowerShop.com. Brandon. Butler basketball holds a special place in, in all three of our hearts. My family had season tickets there for years. You guys are both alums, obviously, that university. Just your thoughts on the addition of Thad Mata in his first season and the direction of the Bulldogs as they, like Brandon mentioned, uh, navigate through the ups and downs and the heavy counter punches that occur in the Big East. Yeah, I think the start to the Thad Mata era is is going good. Uh, you know, look, I, I everybody would like to be undefeated and have a couple more wins, but they had to deal with a couple every a lot of teams do, but a couple of injuries that they weren't expecting. As they start to get back to full health here, I think it's a team that probably won't win the Big East, understand that. They've got some very good teams that they're going up against. But I think certainly is exceeding expectations and can continue to exceed expectations. And I think you've got to give Thad here a couple years to kind of get his sea legs back. He was more or less out of the game, even though he was on the periphery. He had the health issues. Let him kind of get his bearings 
get to back to what it's like to be at a place that's that's different from where he was and also in a new league here and, and start to figure out this NIL world. And I think that it, we're going to see Butler get right back to where they have been. Uh, you know, the law, I, I saw the Connecticut game, and that really was what opened my eyes to say that Connecticut's probably even a little bit better than I thought they were uh, with how they handled Butler. But, but I still think, given that 20-point loss that the Dogs had there, this is still a team that, that when they get fully healthy and get things rolling in conference, can certainly finish in the top half and make a run at a potential NCAA tournament bid. I, I was pumped, as you, I'm sure you guys were, when I saw Thad was, was being hired. I just think it was, uh, no question, home run hire. You bring back a guy who has the Final Four experience, who has the pedigree, who's been around, who knows, who knows how to work the system. Um, it, it was just a great hire, and I think we're going to see that be, just bear out here over the next few years. BG, here's what I'll ask you about our alma mater. You spent a lot of time in Hinkle Fieldhouse. I think your last year calling games was the year before my freshman year, so we just didn't cross paths at that point. But I remember we hosted a panel together uh, when you came back to chat with Butler Seacom students. That was a lot of fun my senior year. But here's the question. If you run into somebody and you have to describe what Hinkle Fieldhouse is and what it means to you and how special of a place it is and the person you're talking to has never been there, what do you say? I say go see a game there <laughs> because you, you, usually people that hear that I went to Butler, they want to talk about a couple things. Uh, oh, wait. So were you there during the final four runs? Do you know Brad Stevens? And then what's it like watching a game there? And I always say, just go see a game there and you won't regret it. And whenever you're in the area, even if you're not in the area, make a detour. If you like basketball, if you like sports, Going there, I love the afternoon games where the sun shining through the windows. That's yes. magical. But even if it's a night game, it's just there's just something about the feeling there that is majestic. And I always point to several games, but the one that sticks at the top of my list was when Roosevelt Jones hit the game winner to beat Gonzaga when college game day was there. Gosh, it's now almost been a decade ago, which is hard to Crazy. believe. But, but there's a lot of times that I've heard that building loud that still to this day is the loudest I have ever heard that building. And I still get goosebumps just thinking about moments like that. But it is, it is a cathedral. It was always cool. It became cooler nationally after Butler made the final four runs and they did the renovation. Um, but it's just, it's just a tremendous place to watch. You think about that. And then you think about, and I know people at Butler don't like to give love to IU and Purdue, but, but you think about Mackey, Assembly Hall, and Hinkle. Tell me somewhere else in the country where you have three college basketball venues, each within an hour of each other. I mean, I know IU and Purdue are two hours apart, but you know what I mean, from Indy down to over, it's an hour, uh, where you've got three places like that where you can go and watch college hoops. It's pretty incredible, and I think all three schools are going in the right direction, even though IU fans may disagree right now. Uh, and it's, it's just a lot of fun to go to all of those venues. BG, last question that I had for you. It's, it's a two-part question, and I, I will preface it that it is a little bit of a joke. Uh, first question, is there any truth to the rumor that uh, you're an advocate for uh, banning kick returns? <laughs> no, that's that's. I am all pro-kick return. I understand the need to cut out injuries, but I get – I think the kickoff – some people talk about eliminating the kickoff. 
I think that is so silly. You need that moment of running up to the football, kicking it, people taking pictures, and the excitement of that return to get a game and a half started. So I'm all about the kick return. Well, the only reason I ask that is because how come you always beat me down when I fail to bring it out to the 20 in Madden? Because it has it it discouraged me from even thinking about bringing it out anymore, PG. You know, over the last seven years, we've recorded so many lines for that game, and I do not remember 99% of them. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> People are always angry at me for being angry at them for something. I'm like, I, I, you know, we recorded that in like September of 2017. I have no idea what we did. Um, so my apologies, though. My apologies. You're okay, Brandon. I just, I, I joke about it all the time with my buddies. And it's a special connection, the fact that, 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 that me and Brendan know you. And, and we always appreciate your work. We always appreciate you making time for us and everything you do, giving back to the industry. Uh, want to wish you happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. Enjoy it. Enjoy your feet up for a little bit. And we look forward to seeing you throughout the college basketball season and at the close here, the college football season. Yeah, well, thank you. And guys, I just want to quickly say in addition to happy holidays, it is so cool to see the success that you two have had and to think that you guys are now hosting a show in a market like Indianapolis already with how young you are. Uh, your present is bright and your future is bright. So keep it up. It's awesome to be on with both of you, and I'm proud of you. BG, appreciate you, man. Thanks, BG. Yeah, see you guys. That's Brandon Gordon. Love that guy. Always, always, always great. With Butler, always great with every stop that he's made, and even as his career continues to ascend, always nice enough to take some time with us here on The Fan. You can follow him on Twitter, at Brandon Gauden. Of course, he is brought to us by the Motor Shop in Fishers and themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercials mowers, as well as power tools, equipment, snowblowers, which as we joked about during that conversation, uh, you might want to go check with Polly and figure out if you can <laughs> even get something real quick before all snow again attacks us of course that's at the mower shop and fishers and the mowershop.com you want a snowblower i don't you want a house though do you're in trouble it's a rookie mistake i you're, need to call Polly. i'm in trouble i'm you better I'm, call Polly. is he I'm open in, the two I days before know. christmas i don't know if he is <laughs> I, I desperately need to call Polly. that is brendan king i am jimmy cook Coming up next, KB, Kevin Bowen, take some time with us as we get you set for Colts Chargers thoughts into the Christmas holiday, as well as the preview look for Monday night's matchup at Lucas Oil Stadium here on The Fan. From the drop, Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Hubler.com studio, Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. Apparently, and by the way, the A-list group of guests continues today. But apparently, our next guest is such an A-lister that he can ask Eddie Garrison for his own entrance music. Man. That's tippy top. Which is, I, I don't know if I'd have the stones to ever do that, but this guy does. It's Kevin Bowen. Co-host of Kevin and Query, 7 to 10 every Monday through Friday morning. Kev, I want to, first of all, congratulate you, wish you a Merry Christmas to you and your family, but most of all, congratulate you on the red spending $7 million on Will Myers. Woo! Congratulations, yes! Kevin! Woo! Kev, we're going to the World Series. 
Yeah, uh, Jimmy, I'm, I'm thinking about a Chuck Pagano congratulations right about now after hearing the news <laughs> of Will Myers. Yeah, um, book the parade. It's certainly going to happen. Can't wait for it. Uh, and by the way, just to clarify, a little Christmas fib from Brendan King there. Eddie Garrison, for what it's worth, texted me asking myself. <laughs> oh, oh. He, he lied. Eddie hey, lied to us then. You, you, hey, you can't throw and, that out there. I was giving you a little more authority. Oh. <laughs> Well, and, and I'm thinking to myself, was that, was that like a Clay Junior High choir that I heard there? That was a great little uh, children's choir re- re-entry from Eddie Garrison. So, uh, joy to the world. The Reds will win 47 games next year. Um, were you also like Eddie that you were surprised? Assuming this is a real quote, I, I'm assuming this is a real quote, Eddie. If it's not, then I've been fooled by you. Will Meyer saying, quote, I'm excited to be a part of this organization. They're up and coming, close quote. Yeah, I don't know if he was getting ready for like the Louisville bat season or, or, or what exactly he was going with on that quote there. So great PR spin on it, but um, yeah, there's no really yeah, there's there's nothing up about it. the other thing up is just pop flies after pop flies after pop flies. <laughs> well, that's it, if they make contact. That's right. Well, it is a sure. pretty interesting day in baseball. Tucker Barnhart is now a Chicago Cub, Brownsburg zone, but Kev shifting over to Monday Night Football, another primetime game for the Indianapolis Colts. Remarkably, their postseason hopes lie on tonight. Jaguars and the Jets on Thursday Night Football. Who would have thought, but Kev, now it's Nick Foles under center. Your thoughts? Yeah, former Jag, Nick Foles, now that I think about it. Um, I am I'm good with it. Um, I probably would have opted for Sam Ellinger, but I am totally fine with Matt Ryan being benched. Um, there's a financial component that I've talked about quite often of a $17 million uh, hit to his 2023 salary that if he were to get hurt here to end the season, um, you would have owed him that. $17 million is a whole lot of money. You look at the free agents last year, I want to say Von Miller was the only one, maybe there's one other, that their contract exceeded that amount. So if you're talking about what you could do with that money, obviously that's a significant amount for a team that has needs outside of quarterback entering the offseason. Uh, again, as far as people get really nervous about, like, Nick Foles, oh, my gosh, could he come out here and, you know, win the final three games? I mean, yesterday was the first time in practice you've thrown the ball to Michael Pittman and, you know, Paris Campbell and your starting pass catchers in a practice setting all year. So I, I, I think a little bit too far to kind of crown Nick Foles as a guy that's going to go 3-0 to end the season. Um, again, I would have opted for Ellinger. I think one other note on Ryan, and I guess to continue the baseball analogies, you know, Matt Ryan's fastball in September was not 95. It was, whatever, 84. His fastball lately has been like 72. And that, I think, is obvious for all of us to see. I would say maybe the more disappointing aspect to Ryan's play this season, and by again, the Colts have not supported him in the way they promised. I think Matt Ryan has not given you anywhere near the advantage at the line of scrimmage you thought you were getting. You thought you were getting Phillip Rivers, chess match guy. I know where the free rushes are coming. I know where we can't block everybody, and I'm going to make sure that I throw with anticipation and get rid of the ball quickly and on time and find the hot reads. Colts haven't had that with Matt Ryan. So I think that's another element to his game where you just assume 15-year veteran, 37-year-old QB, that would be a given, and it hasn't been. KB, I've asked this to a number of different Colts beat writers or Colts just general people that we've had on the show this past week so I'm going to ask it to you because I'm interested in your take on it me and Brendan I think are in the same boat that even though BK would have liked to have seen Sam Ellinger and you were at one point in the boat you'd like to see Sam Ellinger 
the decision to go to Foles, to me, is as clear as day telling what the Colts view Sam Ellinger as moving forward, that they feel internally they have seen enough and that they are maybe still on the roster, but they're not including him as, as the answer at quarterback. Is that a fair assessment, and do you view it the same way that going with Foles the rest of the way is telling in their viewpoint of him as a potential answer at QB? Yeah, I, I've heard you mention that, and I'm probably not totally there um, just because I think the decision-making within the organization right now uh, is very fluid sure. in that Jim Irsay has made some of these quarterback decisions, and seemingly this is Jeff Saturday making it. I, I don't think Jeff Saturday gives two you-know-whats about Sam Ellinger's yeah. future. I, I just think Jeff looks at it and says, my resume is 1-4 and four right now. I want to win because who knows if this is it for me, these next three games. And, you know, I don't want my NFL record, uh, you know, I mean, his Hebron Christian Academy record is 20-16. and 16. He, he wants to try it. I guess it's 500 if you add all that add all that together right now. So I think that Jeff's sole focus is right here right now. And I think Jeff's natural – he naturally sides with strong leaders with veterans and quarterback. I think that's very clear. Um, so I don't think it's like slam the door shut on Ellinger. Um, to your point, though, I, I, I don't think they will or should view Ellinger in the light entering next year of like, hey, put him in a quarterback competition. Like, he can be a starter. Um, I thought his two games went fine. I thought the Washington game, he probably was a little better than I thought he'd be. The New England game, it looked like a first-time road start against Bill Belichick. Uh, so I'm not ready to say that. Uh, I think the makeup of your quarterback room next year in some way, shape, or form should be Ellinger. We're still under contract for two more years. Uh, some sort of veteran in that room. And then a first-round draft pick at quarterback. Kev, I posed this question yesterday. With Foles getting the start over Ryan, I really don't think it's going to change a whole lot other than arm strength. Do you see Foles doing anything better than Ryan besides the strength of his arm? You know, when you say strength, I'd probably throw just a little bit more like velocity in there. And, you know, that can kind of help you out on, you know, how many of those quick ends or quick slants do you just see the DB just jump in the back of Pittman, jump in the back of Pierce, and what you think should be a 70-30 advantage is now turned, you know, 30-70 almost in in terms of a contested catch. So I would go there. I mean, you guys were all, and Brendan, you know, especially, I mean, you guys were all out at training camp. You know, Foles, there was no hesitancy in at least attempting some things. Now, it it wasn't the prettiest looking, you know, it's not like Nick Foles was 85% during camp, and I know he had issues in the preseason games as well. So I don't want to act like uh, just because Foles is more of a willing passer and a little bit more physically capable that it's going to be smooth sailing. Um, You know, I thought Jeff Saturday had a great quote yesterday. It's a sad quote, but it's, it's a great quote. You know, at some point, we've got to get the safeties further than seven yards away from the line of scrimmage. I mean, it looks like teams are playing the Colts like college football teams play Army and Navy. <laughs> it is just load the line of scrimmage and dare, dare them to throw it over the top. And that's how it's been now for the better part of the past month or two. Um, so I think that's where Foles can help you. And then I'll, I'll go back to something that, that, that I said earlier, guys. I just, I just felt like, and I don't know, maybe it's scar tissue, maybe it's being hit. You know, a ton this season, I'm sure that's played into it. I just don't think you've gotten much of an advantage from this veteran 15-year vet quarterback like you thought you would get in terms of processing, identifying, 
those sorts of things. Nick Foles has been in the league for over a decade. Uh, by all accounts, a very intelligent quarterback. Um, certainly he's got familiarity with this system, more than Matt Ryan did entering the fray. So I don't know, maybe you know that, that can kind of help you out a little bit there. KB, Eddie brought this point up yesterday, and I want to ask it to you, to the point about why Foles is out there. You need to over these final three weeks for guys that are either fringe guys or pieces that maybe will or will not be a part of this roster next year. I think you still need to continue to have measuring sticks because guys aren't going to quit. They're fighting for jobs next year. With Foles' familiarity with the offense and just with his veteran presence, is that reason or, or at least a justified reason for going with him over Ellinger knowing that he gives a better baseline for those measurements yeah that's a good point you know something I was kind of mentioning is like I don't feel like you have yes the Colts have not had a functional NFL offense in months yeah um and, and I do feel like you have an attempt to get a little bit more functional there uh, again I'm not expecting all of a sudden Foles to come out and you know, he's throwing for 380 and three, three touchdowns. And, you know, you're calling up the Philly statue people and being like, hey, you know, we might need one next to Peyton here. Um, I, I'm not saying that, but I do think it's a good point that you bring up, Jimmy, and that, you know, some evaluation on guys, you know, something that I wrote coming out of the bye week was, you know, what do you want to see the final four weeks out of the year? I think playing the youth is something you'd like to see. I obviously get why the Colts are not full on in youth mode yet. Um, but I think you want to evaluate these guys. Like Bernard Ryman, I mean, what does he look like at left tackle? Um, again, Alec Pierce rounding out that route tree. I would like to see more Jelani Woods. I feel like that playing time has been so awkward. The usage for him has been so odd to me over the last few weeks. To be honest, you aren't really that young at running back. I guess Deion Jackson, I mean, I guess Zach Moss and Deion Jackson, I guess, are fairly young from an age standpoint. But what I'm saying is there's no rookie there like there is a receiver with Pierce or tight end with Woods, and obviously the offensive line, you're playing Ryman, you're playing Will Fries at right guard. So um, I do think Foles can help you out a bit there just from, a, again, are we a little bit more functional, a little bit more, frankly, NFL-worthy, and maybe you can evaluate guys a little bit better. Kevin Bowen's on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers. You'll need them today. Commercials and residential mowers plus service and power tools. KB, hope you got everything ready to go outside when we have snowpocalypse later. But Eddie Garrison, Scotty Johnston style, just wrote on the big right board, no Kenny Moore at practice. How especially concerning is that, that he has not been at practice when you've had the fourth quarter meltdown in Dallas, the biggest comeback in NFL history against you, and a Chargers team coming in where Justin Herbert can slice up a defense and he's got weapons like Mike Williams and Keenan Allen available. Yeah, the other guy that has been watching the last couple of days, or at least was watching, I, I, I just left practice a few minutes ago, was Kylan Granson as well. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I get Kenny's had probably a little bit more downs than ups this season and certainly he's not had the type of year he would like after – you know, being a little bit vocal, a little bit public with this contract situation in the offseason. You know, but you were down him and Brandon face on on Saturday up there in Minnesota, and, you know, all of a sudden K.J. Osborne has the, the game of his life. You know, and I think when you play some of these teams and Minnesota's skill group, I mean, honestly, when you look at Dallas, Minnesota, the Chargers, these three games in a row, that's one of the harder three-game stretches you'll play all year from a skill group standpoint. I mean, you talk about running back, wide out, tight end, those three teams, three in a row, I mean, that is some elite skill. And the Chargers has battled health all year long, particularly defensively. They're still missing a lot of key guys. 
But if you look at their skill group, to your point, BK, um, they're getting healthier at wideout. You know, Gerald Everett's a good tight end, and Austin Eckler is, you know, one of the more versatile backs in the league. So, yeah, Kenny's absence, I mean, at this point, it's kind of like you just shut him down for the year. You know, you're kind of getting there. I know he's not on injured reserve, but you're kind of getting there with him. And, you know, this is probably a little bit more of an offseason question, but and a lot of it will depend on if Chris Bauer is still here. But if you if a new GM walks into that building, he's probably going to look at a contract of Kenny Moore, a contract of Shaquille Leonard, a contract of Ryan Kelly, a contract of you know maybe a DeForest Buckner. Although I think you're getting pretty good return on investment there, and you might have some pause or some second thought about that. So again, if it's still Ballard, you might not get that. The Colts have not been a very kind of cap casualty team compared to some others in the NFL. But I think anytime you win four games and you potentially have a change in personnel, something to keep an eye on. KB, how much does the Bowen Christmas traditions and Bowen Christmas conversations get impacted if the Jaguars give us a mercy killing uh, tonight and put the playoff hopes to bed? <laughs> <laughs> boy, that is, uh, that is a great question. I thought to myself, boy, could Jacksonville really end the Colts' playoff hopes in back-to-back <laughs> years? Like, usually that doesn't happen. You know, like, right. that's, that's not how it's supposed to go. Um yeah, I'll be totally honest with you. I don't have anything pre-written. I don't know if I'll have anything written off that. I might just save my material for whatever happens in that Chargers game. But it, it, it it's just um, it's humbling. It's salt in the wounds. It's however you want to describe it. That I mean, you're sitting here in the AFC South. I mean, they are pleading, bleed. I mean, every team. Tennessee is saying, "Someone come take it." Like. We traded away A.J. Brown. Harold Landry tore his ACL. Taylor Lewan tore his ACL. Let's fire our GM midseason. Ryan Tannehill's hurt. I mean, now you're playing a rookie that, by all accounts, needs, like, you know, at least a year. Um, you know, he definitely was not some four-year starter at some SEC school and was a plug-and-play guy. So, it's just it, – it probably, more than anything, it's just it, – it, it's disappointing. And it's salt in the wounds that you have the AFC South looking like a nine-win division champ. And yet you can't even get there, sniff it, have a realistic chance at it. Um, That, to me, more than anything, is just – it's disappointing. And honestly, if you go off Jim Ursay's words publicly, that should really piss him off. I mean, how many times did Ursay bring up AFC South and Tennessee this offseason? And if you would have told Ursay at the start of the year, Tennessee's going to be 7-7 and and Jacksonville's going to be 6-8 and with three games to go, you would have said, where do I sign up for? That would be a dream. And yet they're there, and Colts fans want to see draft order improve. Kev, something positive. The Pacers just shoving it to Wally Serbiak yesterday. That was a lot of fun. Boy, how good is Tyrese Halliburton? So good. Um, I mean, I've talked a lot, and my love for Santa and Benedict Matherin probably on a similar level. Um, But, man, what Tyrese Halliburton gives this basketball team is pretty special. Now, when you can pencil him in for 20 and 10, I mean, think about that, guys. That's 20 points, 10 assists. Let's say half the assists are two-pointers, half are three-pointers. So that dude's giving you 45 points of direct impact every night. That is Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Ja Morant. I mean, there are not many guys in the league that do that. And he does it. And he's very he's durable. And I just... I loved how we reacted to the Zerbiak comments. I loved him post game with Jeremiah, and I, I just thought his composure. The twenty one year old guy that was not some heralded recruit was not on the face of some deep NCAA tournament run team. 
wasn't even the lead guy or close really to the lead guy in Sacramento. And yet he's come here and has taken the reins of the franchise. And it's got to be beautiful for Rick Carlisle to have that presence here. And, you know, the, 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 the question I had, I guess, is, you know, I, it struck me very early on. Oh, my, this is a really good passer, really good basketball IQ, all those things. This dude can score and, like, take big shots, not be hesitant to take big shots. It's unorthodox. It looks weird. So I think probably, and I raised my hand, I probably was one that was like, yeah, oh, boy, now he can't be a lead scoring guy for you. But then you watch some of those moments last night, you're thinking, again, the Pacers need more pieces, obviously. But you're like, this is a dude that you want the ball in his hands late, and he just has a great ability to know when to facilitate, when to take over, when to be a shooter, all those things. So what a what a great, great win. I mean, you were you were doing what a lot of people are going to be doing on their commute home today, 10-2, and two, holding on to the steering wheel for dear life there, holding on to that lead. But <laughs> you got it, and uh, it'll go down as one of the better wins of the season. Kev, hope you have a spectacular Christmas with the young family. Really happy for you, brother, and hope you have the uh, the shovel and the salt ready later because you're going to need it. You bet I got it ready. You boys have been unbelievable these last couple weeks. Have a great Christmas to all of you. Thanks, Kev. Thanks. That is Kevin Bowen. It is our last show before Christmas, so of course got to chat with KB on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. BKJ Cook, E. Garrison, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, will be with us at the top of the hour. We'll come back, put a wrap on the 1 o'clock hour next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Listen, if somebody in their right mind does not think this is the greatest Christmas song of all time, I want to speak to them. Speak to me. In sync, Merry Christmas, Happy. I was the biggest eight year old in sync fan in the world. I'll, I, hit, I'll hitch my wagon there with I you. Was an I'm, I'm right there with you. I, the Backstreet Boys were okay. My mom loved the Backstreet Boys. I was yeah, always an sync guy. Right there with you. I, you know what? I saw my first ever concert was sync with the Baja Men. That is awesome. It was unbelievable. That is, that is, so, so I don't know if it was my first ever concert, but I also had uh, nieces. My family's weird. I have nieces and nephews that are about my same age, but they were also sync fans. So I remember like there was a, a mini family trip to an sync concert uh, at... Then Conseco, now of course Cambridge, but uh, I was not lucky enough to have the uh, epic '90s combo of the Baja Men there too. That's awesome. It was like right when Who Let the Dogs Out came. Oh, it, it was like, can you move it like this? I can shake it like that. You know, those those Keep two singing. songs. No, absolutely not, <laughs> absolutely not. But the, Who Let the Dogs Out and Move It Like This? Yeah. I, Jimmy, it's gonna be. We're gonna sound like a lot of old men someday when we describe like the songs of our childhood. Like, but like, like yeah. listen, it's a generational. There, it thing. was this group of guys who let out two songs and they changed the world. You don't understand. You, nobody understands. Eddie, what was your first concert? Do we know? By the way, while he ponders that, you don't know. We have a we have and and I if my 
I'm not going to name the nephew, but if my nephew who I have for our little secret Santa thing is listening to this, and I don't know if he is or not, then I'm sorry. I'm spoiling don't this. Don't spoil it. Don't I'm not spoiling what the gift is, but but the but the key is, I don't even know who I'm going to choose this song, is Guilty Pleasure Song, and they have to guess which relative the gift was from. Ooh. And I've been back and forth with what a Guilty Pleasure Song is, but from what I have gathered is it is a, a hit that... It can be a hit, but it's a song that either drives people nuts or is polarizing or you'd be ashamed to say you love. I've thought about who at the dogs out going on there because it, even though it's it's old enough now that it's a throwback and it's I think people like will definitely bow their head to it uh, at the time as annoying as any other catchy song to some not to me but but to some oh sure. if I if I was a 50 year old person when the Baja men were dropping I would have been what is this <laughs> but no it was it was the song of a generation Eddie have you figured out your answer in the last 60 seconds yep what do you got um uh, first concert uh was five seconds summer with my girlfriend this uh summer nice I'm not a big concert wait wait guy, wait, wait, so wait 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 so how old are you 24 You've never been to a concert? My, not until this summer, no. My, I'm not a big concert guy. My first legit concert like as an adult uh, was a Welcome Week concert in Indiana. B.O.B. performed. Um, we had B.O.B. at Butler. Really? He, so there you go. That was your freshman 20... year? Was that your freshman year? You I think Bob? it was sophomore. I think it was 2014. He, he came out freshman year. Okay. Yeah, we had Bob. Yeah, our freshman did. year. And, like, so. he, did all, he did Airplanes. He did So Good. Yep. He did yep. I've Got the Magic in Me. Like... He, all the classics. Yes. Yep. All the classics. Love it. Uh, top of the hour coming up, the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, will be with us to chat more on the Colts and the Chargers on Monday Night Football. That's the day after Christmas at B-King Sports, at DJ Cook, at Eddie Garrison underscore. We are hanging with you for another hour. Reminder, no show tomorrow. Last show before Christmas, before we send you on your way to the holiday weekend. Back next, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Final hour. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The final show before Christmas arrives. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King coming to you here on the Fan Midday Show in the DriveHubor.com studios. Thank you so much for spending time with us here on Thursday. Be safe out there. Seriously, don't mess with this weather. I was just verbally assaulted for my (laughs) in-sync request. It's not fair. No, I, I think the best Christmas playlist, Jimmy, is when like we talked about during the break, when you can pair the new stuff, Buble, Bieber, maybe an InSync Backstreet Boys with the Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Dean Martin. That's some good stuff. I want a multi-generational mix that is going to keep everybody happy because there's there's few people that are hating on Christmas songs, right? Like unless you're just not a fan of the Christmas season in general, you're going to appreciate regardless of the era a nice mix in that regard. Uh, we segue now, uh, starting with, with a nice Christmas question for the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. Maytay, your thoughts on Christmas music? Thank you for joining us. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And uh, was it a nice mix of, of of different hits throughout the Taylor household growing up slash what you do uh, for your family nowadays? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, thumbs up on Christmas music. Um I think I think my rule on Christmas music has to be like at least two weeks out. I'm not one of these types of people that's like right. I'm not B1057 where like the day after Thanksgiving <laughs> it's all Christmas music all the time. I think I need to ease into it, but uh, certainly I think like 14 days or two weeks to 10 days 
leading into Christmas, I'm all in. And I was thinking about this the other day, too, um, driving. I was in my wife's car, and she's heavily into Christmas music. There are certain Christmas songs that need to be identified by the artist and only thus heard by that artist that made the song famous. Right? You get what I'm saying? Like, Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee, like... Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, that's a Brenda Lee song. No one else should sing that. Um, I shouldn't be exposed to any any, any other version of that song other than that because it's a staple. It's so good. Sure. So you kind of you kind of get what I'm saying. So I think every every Christmas song has the version or the artist that made that song famous, and that's what I'm here for during the, uh, the Christmas holiday season. Mate, I'll double down on Christmas. Coming in with my own question. Give me a Christmas movie that you love and a Christmas movie that you dislike. Mm. All right, hot take. I've I really never gotten I, I've never gotten Elf. I, I don't get oh, it. Whoa. Man, it hurts. Wow, yes. wow. I know, I so I said it. You warned hot. us, you uh, did warn us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. Um like normally I say like I appreciate those that that like the movie it's just not for me like I don't get it at all like it's just and I'm a Will Ferrell guy like I've watched it start to finish and I don't laugh one time um yeah. I just I don't get it um and then in Christmas vacation like you just can't you can't not watch Christmas vacation and just laugh out hysterically even though I've seen it 200 times I did the, I did it the other night I actually got home from uh Minnesota about 10:30 at night and obviously, uh, you know, considering that game went the way it did, I needed something to, I needed to watch something mindless, not have to think and just sort of decompress. So I turned on Christmas Vacation and had a good couple of chuckles, watched about halfway through and just, just a perfect Christmas movie, in my opinion. The Elf thing is interesting because I have a brother that doesn't really like Will Ferrell, not a big fan. And I feel like there's a crossbreed of that, that if you don't like Will Ferrell, you probably don't like I, Elf, I, I, but, I like but you Will do like Ferrell him. Right, right, right. I, I do I, I do like Will Ferrell. Just the movie just doesn't do anything for me. It's just, it's kind of corny. And I know like that's that's the gist of the show right. is you have to embrace the corniness and the cheesiness of it, which I've tried to do when I watch it. I, I still just don't. There's just something about it where I just don't laugh at all. I, I don't. I don't get the movie. I know people love it. It's like a cult classic. Sure. Um, it just doesn't do anything for me. It's the first movie that is making me feel old because it looks older. Like, like not older like classic movies. But like for me, growing up, like it looked like in that same era of new flashy right. movies, and now it's starting like to look early, early two right. thousand. Right. Like, you know, because I I'm the same way. I went to. I saw Old School, which is another Will Ferrell yep. movie. I saw that. That that was right in my wheelhouse. I was like a sophomore or junior in high school. And that was back when people still went to movies in bunches. Like, you know, you got a big group of people to go see a movie. You know, your mom would drop you <laughs> off. Or like, you know, you, your mom would drop off. My mom will pick up before you got your license, that kind of thing. But, I mean, I saw Old School in theaters like six times. And now that movie is looking kind of dated. Love the approach on the movie strategy, Tay And... Speaking of approaches, last three weeks for the Colts, Monday Night Football, primetime again, taking on the Chargers. The day after Christmas, Mayte already been announced that Nick Foles is going to take over as the starting quarterback for Matt Ryan. Obviously, it's been a tough situation for everybody, especially over the last matter of weeks. But Matt, I guess taking out the even possibility of Jaguars and Jets tonight continuing a playoff chance. What does the approach have to be in these final three weeks for a reeling Colts team after uh, a heartbreaking last couple? 
Well, you're just trying to you're trying to win, and so you're trying to tweak anything that you can at your disposal. And I think, I mean, listen, any time that you give up, uh, you know, the the biggest lead in NFL history, and you don't close it out, and you only score three points in the second half, and you know, I think what we kind of forget about, um, you know, from that game on Saturday is that the Colts did score a season high thirty six points, but only twenty two of that came from the offense, and only seven of that came from offensive touchdowns. So. You know, the game the other weekend uh, in Minnesota was the seventh time this season the Colts had one touchdown on offense or fewer in a game, right? So you're still having some offensive inefficiencies. You know, they were they were one for four in the red zone, um, had to settle for field goals on three different occasions when they got to the Minnesota 10-yard line. And so, obviously, in a game like that where you're, you're not really thinking like that in the, in the first half or at halftime when you're up 33 to nothing, but... You know, the Colts could have been up you know, at least 40 to nothing or, you know, maybe close to 50 to nothing in the first half had they been better or more efficient uh, in the red zone um, in the first two quarters against the Vikings. But, you know, so you throw that in plus just the fact that, you know, you continue to struggle to push the ball down the field. I mean, I think the Colts' yards per attempt number this year is 6.6, and, you know, you only have three completions on the season over 40, all of them to Alec Pierce, and he wasn't involved very much in the game plan. Oh, I shouldn't say the game plan, but just didn't come to fruition in terms of him testing the Vikings vertically in the game um, on Saturday. I mean, he didn't have a single catch. Jelani Woods only had one catch for, for 35 yards. So that was the, the lone bright spot for the Colts, being able to push the ball and, and take advantage of a, a Vikings defense that just wasn't very good at, at stopping the pass. And they had given up a bunch of big plays. But Colts just didn't take advantage of that, and so I think all of those things just add up to, you know, we need to make a change. We've lost four in a row. We've lost seven of our last eight. You know, uh, Nick Foles compared to Matt Ryan at this point has, you know, um, more more pop, if you will, has a stronger, um, you know, has more strength, I should say, in, in that right arm. So, I mean, and that's, that's kind of where they're at right now with three games to play, turning the offense over to Nick Foles, just trying to find something, trying to tweak anything that they can to find a spark to uh, go into the offseason with, you know, some kind of momentum on offense. Maytay, I've never been to Canton, so I don't know if there is a wing or an aspect with NFL records where they or they highlight big things or if there was a section over there that highlights Frank Reich's comeback. But but now, obviously, that comeback record belongs to Kirk Cousins. And obviously, me and BK, a bit of a selfish question in that regard as, as play-by-play broadcasters in our own right. And we obviously look up to you and appreciate your work. You know, I was listening to some of the call, but just from a mental standpoint, for me, when it went 36-14, I started doing the math of with the way the Colts offense is playing and has played this year, this thing isn't over. There's a chance they could come back and turn it around and maybe steal this one. When, if at all, did that thought enter your mind as that game was going on? And just looking back on it, uh, what, what was that like in the booth watching all that unfold? Yeah, it was um, – it, it, I think I said this on the air. I don't think I've seen anything like it because if you're going to give up a 33-point lead, two things have to happen. You can't move the ball and you can't stop them. And they have to score, but they have to score quickly. And that's exactly what they did. So to me, things kind of turned on the K.J. Osborne 60-yard catch, which I know Joe Wrights was hitting this during the game and, and, and subsequently you know, a couple of days later on our Monday night show. But things 
from a psychological standpoint, really kind of switched. If you remember on that Dio at Dangbo taunting penalty, mm-hmm. he got like a five-yard tackle for a loss on either Cousins or one of their backs to set them up second and 15. They've got the ball in their own territory. You're up big, and then they get stuffed the next play, and then the next play after that, so two plays after the Dangbo penalty, Osborne goes down the field, 63 yards. They throw it over the middle, yards after catch down to the four. I thought that was the one big play that kind of got them going. And so to me, as soon as it got to be whatever it was, 36 to 21, that's when it became real to me. And that's when the big plays really started to, you know, start to come, you know, fast and furious. I mean, looking back at the box score on the plane on the way home, I counted up. 19 plays for the Vikings in the second half for overtime, over 10 yards. They had four over 20, and they had two over 60, including Cook's uh, 64-yard touchdown to essentially tie the game, to pull them within two, and then they got the two-point conversion after that. So it was just big play after big play, short-scoring drive after short-scoring drive. I don't have it in front of me, but I think the Colts had eight possessions in the second half. And they didn't have the ball for more than three minutes uh, at a time in those possessions. And none of those possessions went down the field longer than 26 yards. So that's just a perfect recipe for, you know, letting a team back in the game is when you can't stop the big plays and when you can't sustain drives. Um, you know, I just thought that the Colts running game just didn't do them any favors in the second half to be able to chew time and to, you know, grind, grind them down and, and be able to keep that offense off the field. It just didn't happen. And, um, yeah, that, that place was absolutely bonkers. I mean, I, I don't want to diminish their fan base because they have a really good home field advantage because of they, they have great uh, you know, fans and a great crowd. But, my God, that place is loud because of the PA system, the noise and the sound effects and the yaller horn and all that stuff. So just a really cool environment. And then, unfortunately, there towards the end, it was just it was a feeding frenzy and uh, just the, the loudest sporting event I think I've ever been to. Matt, how much does losing Jonathan Taylor early factor into the momentum shifting to the Vikings when they did get within those two touchdowns? Yeah, I I really don't think a whole lot because at that point you are running the game really well. I mean, Zach Moss and and uh, and, and you know he, he kind of spur you know uh, spearheaded I should say um, you know he and Deion Jackson were that two headed monster in the running game. And they ran the ball very well for the entire game in totality. I mean, 170 yards rushing, third time this year the Colts have been able to do that. But it was just situational football that really hurt them in the running game. Not being able to, I think it was Jackson that didn't stay in bounds late in the game when the Vikings were in a position to have to, you know, be forced to use their timeouts. So that was an opportunity miss right there. And I just think that's a young player not knowing the the full magnitude of the situation, not being in that, um, you know, experience before. Um, and then obviously the Colts not being able to hammer the ball for a first down. I think it was third and seven. They, they decided to run it, which I thought was the right call to make you know more time come off the clock and make the Vikings use another timeout. But the Colts came up a yard short. And I, I'm still convinced. I know this is not what you're asking me, but I'm still convinced that Matt Ryan got that first down. I don't, that was a horrible spot. And the two side judges came in. One of them actually had it for a first down. And then the other one put the ball, put the nose of the football, like right at the 35-yard line. 
and in real time watching it and then seeing again on the replay, like the middle of that football should have been straddling the 35-yard line on the field, thus giving the Colts a first down. So um, obviously there's so many plays that you look back and you say could have, would have, should have when you give up you know, a 33-point lead and 39 points and a half. But um, I'm still convinced that was a first down. And, yeah, just the running game just didn't come to – come to play in the second half like it needed to in order to secure that monster lead. Matt Taylor taking some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show via the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop in Fishers, themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snow blowers. very pertinent, particularly for today. Power tools, equipment, so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at the Motor Shop in Fishers, and themotorshop.com. You can follow Matt Taylor on Twitter at MayTayColts. Matt, when you look around the AFC South, and this is more for us than it is the Colts as an organization, but for you and, and the vibe around that building, as you see the Jaguars now in a position to steal the South with the injury to Ryan Tannehill, Teron Davenport now confirming that, that he's out for the rest of the season, how much will this season, not just before that injury, but as a whole, be looked at of what could have been and missed opportunities for this group? Yeah, I mean, it's it's completely frustrating. The fact that the Titans are in a tailspin, having lost four in a row, and I mean, what what is, what is the uh, the Jaguars' record? What are they six and eight? And you're still there in the thick of it to you know contend for the AFC South. So the fact that you have all of that going on. And the Colts still are, you know, in the rear view mirror by, you know, three or four carlings, if you will, if you want to make a bad analogy right there. I mean, that's that's the depressing part of all of this is had the Colts just played better football and closed some games out along the way, you kind of sprinkled in, you know, from mid-October to mid-December. I mean, the Commanders game was, you know, an opportunity missed. Obviously, the, the Cowboys game where you're right there, you're down by only two, with the ball for a chance to tie it, you know, in the in the fourth quarter. And then, you know, the dam breaks and you give up 33 points there in the fourth quarter. That was an opportunity missed. Um, you know, the Patriots game was incredibly winnable. Um, you know, they're a very average team and you didn't come to play at all in that game. Um, you know, you're looking at the Philly game when you're up by 10 against the best team in the, in the NFL. You can't close them out. And so, yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking considering that, this division is so winnable and so obtainable, but yet the Colts tonight mathematically are on the verge of being eliminated. That that that's what makes this season um, just unbelievable. Because you know, we were talking about this earlier today. If you go back to the start of the season, we were talking about big picture, all the parity in the AFC, and, and how many teams are going to be in, in the mix to to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season. You know, in reality, we said, you know okay, you probably cross off at this point, you eliminate the Jets, you eliminate the Jaguars, and you eliminate the Texans. Those are the three teams that probably don't have a shot at making the playoffs. Well, guess what? Tonight, the Jaguars and Jets are, you know, they have a huge game on primetime with playoff implications. And we thought, how many wins for this Colts team? Or is it going to be nine? Is it going to be 10? Is it going to be 11? And no one saw this team being four, nine, and one. And on the verge of, again, the mass eliminating from the playoffs tonight. So, that's why the NFL, man, is the best reality series going because you never know. And, uh, you know, the Rams stink, the Packers stink. You know, <laughs> who would have thought that last year? So this is this is just parody-filled, you know, National Football League. And um, 
yeah, it, it's frustrating because this is a very winnable division, but yet the Colts are still you know so far behind the rearview mirror going into the last three games. Matt Taylor's on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Mate, I was listening to Bubba Ventrone's media availability this week, and he was poised the question, does he aspire to be a head coach? And I remember Matt Eberflus was asked the same question last year, shortly before he took the Bears job. Of course, both answers were yes. I think Ventrone, of anybody on this Colts staff, he's really, really put an impression on the fan base based off of what he has done in the last few years. In your mind, getting to know him and being around him, Matt, what qualifications can you already see in him that would make him a viable head coaching candidate somewhere? Yeah, he's just steady. He's a really uh, even guy. Um, He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. Um, He's an easygoing guy. He's really easy to talk to, and, and I don't think it's hard to understand why the players like to play for him because he keeps it real he tells them when they're playing well he tells them when they're playing bad and obviously he puts a ton of emphasis on player development and I think that's one of the things that got lost at the beginning of the season is just how much turnover the Colts had within their core group of special teams players a lot of guys either were not retained or they left in free agency or got traded or whatever so Bubba had a lot of new guys to train up and and get on his level. Um, you know when you when you talk about covering kicks and 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 blocking on punt returns and things like that. So um, from that angle, he just really maximizes all of the talent that he has. And it, it kind of took a while this year for the Colts to get you know on par with where they've been uh, in relation to special teams in years past. But I think they're definitely there now. I mean, obviously, when you you know have a bunch of good kickoff returns by Dallas Flowers, he's got three over 45 in the last three games, including an 89-yarder against the Steelers last time the Colts played on Monday Night Football. Um, and then you, you block a punt for a touchdown. JoJo Doman's been a core special teams guy. You know, Grant Stewart is, is always up there. EJ Speed, Zaire Franklin still playing on special teams despite the fact that he's balling out from his middle linebacker position. Um, you know, I looked it up the other day. The Colts actually lead the NFL in special teams touchdowns since Bubba Ventrone took over in 2018. They have seven special teams touchdowns, and they also lead the NFL in special teams, or I should say blocked punt touchdowns with four of them in that span. Um, and actually, that, that, that includes the regular season. They actually have one in the playoffs as well. They got one against the Kansas City Chiefs a few years back on the road. So, no, this guy is elite when it comes to special teams in the NFL. And it doesn't matter what phase of the game that you oversee. You know, when you become a head coach, you just have to have, you know, uh, leadership qualities and you have to have, you know, that, 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 that you have to gravitate guys towards you and you have to, you know, have guys buy into, you know, what you're selling. And I think Bob Ventrone has those qualities. I think he will be a head coach in the NFL. Uh, hopefully, knock on wood, it's not for a while because you'd love to have him in, in his same capacity going forward here because the Colts are just one of the best special teams units um, in the last four or five years since he's been here. But um, I definitely see that for him in his future somewhere else in the NFL. Maybe it might be here. I don't know if, if he'll be a candidate in the offseason to, to interview for the head coaching job with the Colts. It's going to be fascinating to see how that all uh, you know unfolds here the next month or so. Matt, if the Jaguars do take the Colts' playoff hopes out to pasture for the second straight year in a row, if that happens tonight, we know this is a league where 
You know, no, no one's laying down. Everybody's fighting for their jobs. I know we've continued to say that this week, but it's important to stress there's a difference between what fans want, which is at that point, they probably want the team to lose. They probably want the draft capital to rise versus what the players want, which is their and coaches, which they're playing for their futures in this league. From your standpoint, as you measure everything out, how does it, if anything, change what you're focused on and what you, where you want to see growth over these final three games once the Colts are bounced from the playoffs or if the Colts are bouncing the playoffs? Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I just want to, I just want to see guys close out strong. And, and, you know, I said earlier this week, and it sounds like at this point in the season, you know, where I think guys should be selfish, but you have to play for yourself. And that sounds like I'm suggesting guys be selfish. But what I mean is at this point, when your playoff hopes are so dim, you got to go out and play for yourself and, and know that you still have to go out there and give it everything that you have, and your tape is your tape. Your tape is your resume. I mean, I've said that so many times in the last month when, when things have kind of kind of got haywire here for the Colts, but you've got to play for yourself and your opportunity to come back for this team next year or a chance to play elsewhere in the NFL, but you also have to play for the guy next to you who's playing for themselves as well, for their chance. To be, to be retained, whether that's for Jeff Saturday or a new head coach, whatever. I mean, I thought Joe Wrights had a really good um, you know, story the other day. He was part of that 2011 team that was, you know, whatever they were, 2-14, and 14, and, you know, that was the Peyton Neck injury season, and then Andrew Luck the, the year after. You know, what Joe was trying to do was just prove to Jim Irsay um, and, and the other powers that be – you know, for a new head coach the following year in 2012 and a new GM the following year uh, that season that he wanted to be a Colt. He was good enough to be retained and, and brought back to be part of that nucleus going forward that won 11 games three years in a row. And he had to go out and just compartmentalize that this is a really crummy season, but I have to play for myself. i got to play for the name on the back of my jersey but also the logo on the front of the jersey as well. And obviously that's that's what guys are trying to do now. And you know, I talked with Julian Blackman earlier today, and he's, he's got the same mindset. It's, it's another chance to play ball, man. It's another chance to play in the National Football League, regardless of whatever, whatever your record is. It's a chance to just shine out on Monday Night Football and play for everybody that brought you up in this game, You know, your peewee coaches, your high school coaches, all the guys that help you get to this point. They're going to be watching on Monday night, and so you got to go play hard. you got to go play well. And, yeah, it's, it's a different dynamic for the fans. I totally get that because they want to see the Colts skyrocket up the board in the draft and picking the top five and all that. But, honest to God, the players don't give a, a flying you-know-what about it because it's a chance to go out and play, and it's a chance to earn their money and to earn future opportunities in the NFL. Mate, last thing from me, we were talking about the Pro Bowl earlier, and I think certainly Grover Stewart will be looked at as a snub. But for me, Zaire Franklin is my ultimate snub, just considering where he has come from, how he has grown, how he has filled in so efficiently at times for Shaq Leonard this year, and then being upwards in the NFL lead in tackles. I think if you're looking at a guy, Matt, on that list that deserves to be in there just by the wealth of what they have done and grown in this league, Zaire Franklin sticks out. How about you? Yeah, and what he means to the Colts defense, he and Grover Stewart. And unfortunately, this this is what the Pro Bowl is. It is name recognition. And it is politics. And unfortunately, you know, when you're four, nine, and one, regardless of how many good players you've got and, and how many guys are playing well individually, 
you're just not going to get a lot of Pro Bowlers on on the All Star team when you're you know so far under expectations and so far under 500. And we saw this. This is how it goes. I mean, how many years was Kenny Moore uh, deserving of making the Pro Bowl before he made it last year? He just wasn't a household name yet. And and same thing with Shaq Leonard in, in his 2018 rookie season. Um, he made first team All Pro and yet missed the Pro Bowl. It's because he didn't have name recognition yet in the NFL that year. The Colts, to that point, weren't on prime time a lot, and nobody kind of really knew who Shaq Leonard was at that point. And you know, he's kind of like this hybrid player where he's, you know, where do you put him? Is he an outside linebacker? Is he a off the ball linebacker? So that kind of made it murky as well. So unfortunately, when you have a really good season and you're not, I mean, even though. People around here know Grover Stewart, and we know Zaire Franklin around central Indiana. Um, you know, when you're four, nine, and one, these are not household names. So when you ball out for a season, it typically takes the next year for you to be on the, uh, you know, in, in, within the, the, the minds of the fans that vote, within the minds of the players that vote. And that's what the All Star game is in the NFL. That's what the Pro Bowl is it is name recognition and it is politics. You're going to see a bunch of, I mean, J.J. Watt's a Pro Bowler this year. I mean, you kidding me? I mean, that's that's an absolute joke. But he's J.J. Watt. He's got name recognition. Uh, so you're going to see a bunch of guys make all pros, second team or first team, that didn't make the Pro Bowl, and it just sort of is what it is. Yeah, I'm right there with you, mate. That's why I put more stake in the all-pro list than I do the Pro Bowl. I know we've taken up far too much of your time. Uh, enjoy yet another uh, – I know you'll still have plenty of prep, but enjoy another non-Sunday broadcast, and more importantly, enjoy the holiday season. Merry Christmas to you and your family, and always appreciate you making time for us. I appreciate you, boys. I'm going to go watch Elf. Maybe I'll figure <laughs> it out. Give us a new maybe, review. Maybe it'll just click. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks, Matt. All right. See you guys. That is Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. You can follow him on Twitter at Colts on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. When we return, take a little bit further look at what is a nice, not only college bowl slate, but a nice college basketball slate headed up this weekend, as well as we get closer and closer to Colts Chargers. I'm Jimmy Cook. He is Brennan King. Back in a moment on The Fan. This was the song, Jim. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. I mean, that you and I both requested today. It was the one that was an agreement this is on the, both of our lists. This is the straw that stirs the drink. Amen. Right here. Amen. It's a classic. The old saying. <laughs> it's been used in, in many a commercial, most yes. famously the Coke commercials for sure. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a classic. I, I think polar bears, so polar bears are my favorite zoo animal. Sure. But they became my favorite zoo animal because of Coca-Cola Christmas commercials. That's amazing. I, I loved, I needed like, every Christmas I asked for a new pair of polar bear pajamas. Were you... My painstakingly parents, heartbroken when you didn't see a polar bear go off of a snowbank slide and hold a Diet Coke uh, at the end of it. And they crack open a fresh Coke <laughs> and they just sip it back. God. No, that's that's why polar bears became my favorite zoo animal. Because of the Coke, Coke Christmas. I, I'm sure you're not alone in that. Uh, that that's the beauty of uh, the marketing machine that is America. 
and and, and big, media. Are, big media. Thanks, big media. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I'm right there with you. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Uh, Grew fond of the polar bears. Uh, tried to learn they don't, you know, down coke and, and no, have parties. No, they, they probably time, wouldn't be too healthy. No, no, probably, yeah, probably not. That's... You got a favorite zoo animal? Uh, big tiger guy. Big tiger like guy. Tigers. Go tigers. Yeah, not quite, not quite tiger king level tiger guy, but 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 enjoy. Uh, well, is it Brian Kelly's tigers, tigers or Ed uh, Orger's it, tigers? It's a family. Go tigers. That's all that matters. Go tigers. Yep. Eddie, zoo animal. Oh, thank you. I was talking to the. I know. Tom I got to get you on every conversation. Um, my favorite zoo animal. Yeah, penguins. Okay, like it. The uh, as of the Pittsburgh kind. No. Or the Youngstown State kind. No. Or neither. <laughs> neither. <laughs> I think that's it, right? Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. I don't <laughs> I'm, have I'm pretty one. sure that's it. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy. If you'd like to join the Colts slash Pacers conversation, I do want to get back to the Pacers, Jimmy. While we have an open segment here, and again, three one seven two three nine ten seven zero. If you'd like to call in, this is our last show before Christmas, so your last time to get your thoughts in here this week on the fan look the wally serbiak stuff i think that's going to be a cute storyline heading down the rest of the way that the pacers maybe use as some momentum and some motivation but look the story jimmy is that you beat a very good celtics team at td garden you're back to 500 and if you're telling me that the pacers are at christmas jimmy and we're on christmas day and the pacers are 16 and 16 i think that's a hell of a lot better than most people would have aspired i had expectations this was going to be a Pacers team that was going to be a lottery team once again and and they very well still could be right there, there's still a lot of season left but you were three and seven in your last 10 going into that one you haven't necessarily folded against top teams not the right that's not the right phrasing there but you built a nice record off a soft part of the schedule and then you've had your bumps and bruises along the way as the schedule's gotten tougher to go into a place like TD Garden, and to go up against a team like the Celtics that is the two-seed right now, that is a betting favorite or a co-betting favorite to come out of the East as conference champions, that is a good measuring stick game. Again, you and I aren't going to be the type to necessarily overreact of where this team can go after just one game, especially when it's not college basketball mindset and that it's a single elimination tournament. It's a best-of-seven series throughout the playoffs, but to be able to know this team where it stands, is able to go in an environment like that, able to get a, a I don't want to call it a signature win, but a top-tier win under your belt as we get into the Christmas holiday and we get into the post-Christmas basketball action. Very proud of this Pacers team. They're fun. They're, they were young a year ago as they made those trades at the trade deadline, but they still weren't next-level exciting. This is a fun, young, next-level exciting type of Pacers team that even if you're not on the train of, yes, this is a playoff team this year, they have a good foundation in place to where you can believe in the direction that Kevin Pritchard and company and Rick Carlisle are building. Well, when you believe in the folks that are coming in, Aaron Neesmith against his former team, 15 points, six boards, three assists, two steals. Chris Duarte, shout out Jeremiah Johnson, who literally called the buzzer beater yesterday afternoon. Chris Duarte hits a buzzer beater, 14 points in 15 minutes as he continues to ease himself still back in from that ankle injury that kept him out for practically a month and a half. So when we were talking, I forgot if it was Ryan Rucco, I believe it was Ryan Rucco, who said, when you're a GM or a president of basketball operations and you can start hitting on draft picks yep. while you're already making the smart trades, that's when a team, Jimmy, makes the next step. 
And for the longest time, that was that was easy fodder against Kevin Pritchard, right? You could point to misses in the draft. Oh, Goga was the, egregious. Right. Yes, the Goga yeah. pick was egregious, but he's made up for it. Correct. And, and that's where... The criticism last year was, can you trust Kevin Pritchard? Can you trust this regime with a top-tier pick? I'm not, I don't want to lump them together, but it's similar aspects to what there's fear within the Colts fan base about Chris Ballard is that do you want to trust him with a top-tier draft pick? Do you want to trust him with another draft? I'm not saying that that changes for Chris Ballard if he gets another year, but on the Pacers' side... Absolutely, the narrative shifted a bit with how well this rookie class for the Pacers has performed so far in the season. You have the crown jewel in Matherin. You think that he's going to be your next face of the franchise as he comes into his own and gets more years under his belt. But Andrew Nemhart as well, just his his play and his contributions throughout the season so far are just, that's hitting on picks and that is building yourself a nice young core because when you're a small market team, the only way to put yourself back in a championship contention, you're not going to always get the big free agent signing. You have to have a nice core in place to entice said free agents to want to come here. Pacers have done a good job of that, at least so far through third of the season. I'm not sure if that's a type of game you win last year, too, because no. the Pacers, well, maybe even the year before, because the Pacers were so star-bent, they needed Sabonis to show up almost on a nightly basis. When Oladipo was actually healthy, they needed him to show up on a nightly basis. The bench was just not as deep when Nate McMillan was the coach, especially when Nate Bjorkren was the coach. Now, you have Buddy Heald last night, Jimmy, scoring eight points. That's all Buddy scored. He went two of three from deep, efficient enough, but you only score eight points. You just didn't get the looks, five rebounds. Halliburton scores the 33, sure, but when Buddy Heal scores eight points, you're still able to get 14 from a Duarte. You're still able to get eight from an O'Shea Brissett. Ben Matherin, quieter than usual, seven points. But when if Buddy Heal, let's call him your biggest threat from deep, right? He's your biggest sharpshooter at times. When he has a quiet night, I'm not sure that's a game you win a couple years ago and you still find a way yesterday. No, and had you told me going into the season, you pick a matchup and you tell me there's a game where Buddy Heald only has eight points, I probably would have looked at it and told you, I don't know that's a game that the Pacers win. I mean, I think if I'm, my math is correct, which is never a guarantee. 39 points off the bench last night, a massive factor to why the Pacers were able to sustain that lead and hold it late. And then just, we've seen them get out to good starts this year. They outscore 42-22, uh, to 22, the Celtics in that first quarter. But it, it's, even though they only had a 17-point fourth quarter, it's how they manage the tide. It's how they close that game. That is the type of action that's going to have to be sustained for this team if they want to not only punch a ticket to the playoffs, but maybe win a playoff series for the first time in eight years, nine years. Eddie, you were at the controls last night with Mr. Boyle. Must have been fun in here. Yeah, it was really fun. You know, seeing them come out and dominate that first half, putting up 42 points uh, in the first quarter. It was just kind of crazy when you go back and, you know, either read about the game recap that I had on 107.5thefan.com or you were watching it last night and you see the Pacers come out and they struggle right away. Like, it's like, oh, here we go again. Pacers struggling, getting themselves in a hole. Down 8-2, to two, Rick Carlisle calls a timeout. Next thing you know, they hit their next 12 shots coming out of the break and the center focal point of all that was Tyrese Halliburton and then you fast forward to the end of the game. Uh, Boston gets their deficit down to five with about three minutes to go and then who takes over? Tyrese Halliburton. He closes the game out with either assisting or scoring on every basket the Pacers had in the final minutes. Uh, shout out to Tony East for that nugget. Saw that uh, a little bit earlier. But uh, this team is really exciting. And one thing that 
I think we should start thinking about or looking at with this Indiana Pacer team is that they're already so young. They have a couple pieces that, you know, that other teams are interested in. Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, uh, possibly Chris Duarte, if there is interest in the Indiana, and possibly moving him, depending on what their level, what the other teams are interested in is. But the thing I want to focus on here is that they have three first-round picks in this upcoming draft. There is no way right now with the current the current roster construction that at least two of those guys would be able to come in and make a meaningful impact and be able to have regular minutes. And that's something you need out of a first-round pick is that availability to get minutes. And right now, Pacers don't have that. So I'm really intrigued to see what they do when the trade deadline and the trade uh, you know, all the trades start to happen. Is is Indiana a seller, but at the same time a buyer, like simultaneously? Uh, are they selling Miles Turner? Are they selling Buddy Hield? Are they trying to attach a draft pick with one of those guys uh, and get a wing? Because I think that's where their biggest problem is right now is wing depth and getting a guy who's a lockdown defender who can kind of switch on today's NBA, one through four or one through five, depending on the lineup of who you're playing. That's why Kevin Pritchard, to me, has been such an efficient trader in this league. And not trader as in bad, trader as in slinger of deals, right? Spelling is critical there. Because what Eddie just said, Jimmy, is what hits home. Because although the Pacers have been sellers with nearly all the trades that Pritchard has made, right? With the fact of giving up Paul George, with the fact of giving up Victor Oladipo, with the fact of giving up DeMontis Sabonis, your franchise quote-unquote centerpiece... With George, you get Sabonis and Oladipo. They help you for a couple years. With Oladipo, you trade that for Levert, which then you get a first-round pick for. Right. And then now, trading Sabonis last year to the Kings, you just got your new franchise centerpiece, plus a really nice player in Buddy Heald. So although, as Eddie just said, they have been sell deals, in a way they've been buying deals because they have helped the team still win. Usually when you sell, Jimmy, you tank. We see that so often in baseball. Not the case with how Pritchard executes his trades. Yeah, and again, last year's trade and, and the moves of the trade deadline with that one in particular, I mean, that was a team that it was pretty clear by the time we got to the deadline or by the time we were approaching the deadline, they weren't going anywhere. So to your point, Yes, there was no intentional tanking in that regard because it might have been perceived that way around the league when you trade a player as talented as Sabonis, but you got in a piece that a lot of NBA experts were pointing to Tyrese Halliburton as, man, like, yes, the Suns are getting Sabonis and he's having an an, an all-NBA type of season yet again in Sacramento. I mean, the numbers he's putting up are, are incredible for the Kings, but they had to give up an asset in Halliburton that filled a need for the Pacers. And then a lot of people, when the trade went down, that are in those NBA circles thought, man, this could be a, a very nice piece for the Pacers. Maybe they automatically won this deal. I don't get into that as much. I do think this is a piece that Halliburton in the Kings are, will definitely miss, but Sabonis has been exceptional for them as well to a point that you look at what Pritchard is able to do and orchestrate that deal. He's not making trades to intentionally tank the team. He's making trades seeing a year or two down the line for what this player can be for me, BK, which is why it is so fascinating to Eddie's point, how they manage the trade deadline in a year where for the first time in a minute, they are actually viewed as a playoff team or a play in team. How does that change what they want to do, particularly with the elephant in the room being Miles Turner and the thought that if he is going to walk, you can't let him walk for nothing. And your last opportunity to prevent that from happening is before the trade deadline. At Miami tomorrow at 8 o'clock, at 
New Orleans the day after Christmas. That's a busy night. The Colts and the Chargers and then the Pacers and the Pelicans, be it the Pacers are on the road. Pacers get home to face off with the Hawks on Tuesday the 27th and the Cavs come in on Thursday the 29th and New Year's Eve. The Clippers, that's an afternoon game. If there's a ever a time to see what you got and put yourself to the test, it is right now for this Indiana Pacer team. Last time out, we'll come back, wrap things up. Last show before Christmas. BK, Jay Cook, Eddie Garrison, 93.5, The Fan. Well done, Eddie Garrison. Well done. Gotta say yes. the best for last. I was waiting for when this was going to drop. I didn't even want to suggest this one because I believed in you. I trusted in Eddie. Just like my belief in Santa Claus Amen. that you were going to come through with this thing. Eddie always delivers. This is bringing back college vibes of this plays in a sweaty room at 12.30 a.m. People are, born, are pouring peppermint schnapps down your throat with chocolate sauce. You ever have that? I the peppermint n- schnapps and chocolate sauce. No, no. Uh, I guess we just uh, Butler parties harder than I do. I, 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 guess, I mean, eh? I I was I was not going with the chocolate sauce combo. I'm no, it's where like somebody has a bottle of peppermint schnapps and a a tub of sure. Hershey's chocolate sure, sure, syrup, sure. and they pour chocolate sauce in your mouth, sure. and then they take the peppermint schnapps sure. and give you a shot, and then you down it. That is a heck you, of a one-two da- punch. You're down on your knees, and yep, of course, it's usually, it's usually, yep. it's usually a girl running around with yep. the chocolate sauce yeah, okay. and yep. the schnapps. Yeah. Do you want me to yep. stop talking? No, I mean, I, I, got a, I, I, we have a knees <laughs> reference, girls, and all sorts of things. No, it's just how here. it went, man. Right, Jimmy, give us some bets. Oh, I got some bets for you. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Beautiful transition. Today's plays of the day. We're going with two wagers, both involving Thursday night football. First, I am going to take Zach Wilson. I'm going to take him for over. Wow, that's all it is. Wow, I I checked this earlier, and it's gotten worse since then. It's over. Half a touchdown pass is all that's allowed to you. There's just one touchdown pass for him. Now, granted, the juice is horrible. There's got to be an alternate. Just half a touchdown. Just one. One's all you got to get. That's minus 220 on the odds. There's not a lot of good juice there. So I'm going to seek that out. But basically, I'm going to be taking over, let's say, one and a half touchdowns for Zach Wilson tonight. I say he gets to two. Despite that, though, I believe that the Colts... Playoff hopes die tonight. I'm taking the Jaguars on the road at MetLife over the Jets on the money line. One and one yesterday, two and five on the week. Plays on Twitter at the Jayco. Eddie, did you say it's supposed to be like gross tonight in New York? But not, I saw it was not, to be like gross in the perspective that's going to be wet and like 40 degrees. I didn't see. I didn't see rain in the forecast. I saw it was supposed to be either cloudy or partly cloudy, but it's supposed to be in the high 30s. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I have a fantasy football decision to make that nobody cares about. Zach Wilson, do I start him? Do I not? Um, and outside of that, just if we are getting snowed in, I got to buckle down and, and and swap between the NBA games that are out there, Thursday night football, and then and the college basketball sleep. I'm going to go to Minnesota Wild forward Matt Zuccarello to score anytime goal tonight, plus 205. He plays on their number one power play unit. It's the Wild and the Sharks at 1030. I think the Sharks are terrible. I think the Wild are going to get some power play looks. Matt Zuccarello, again, is the big shot guy on their number one power play, plus 205. That's some pretty good juice. 
Edward, scamper back to your microphone and give me a bet. I'll give you two. Okay. I went one-on-one yesterday. Uh, Jalen Brown just could not make a layup. It was frustrating to watch. As a better who had his over. Uh, I'll take one in the NFL tonight in Thursday Night Football. I'll take Garrett Wilson over 53 and a half uh, receiving yards. You can really pass on this secondary for Jacksonville. He can't run as much. And plus, uh, Zonovan Knight, he's not a top-tier back in the league. but he's, Stud. He's good. Stud. He's solid. But I think the way that the Jets, if they're going to able to defeat Jacksonville, will be through the air. And he is their wide receiver numero uno. And then you can go either way with this. Both are safe plays, but you can just choose your preference. Bradley Beal over 23.5 points, or you could take his combination of points, rebounds, and assists over 32.5. I'm looking at this from the angle of uh, Jaden Ivey. Just had 39 PRA and 30 points against the uh, Jazz two days ago. I like Beal. He's hit this line pretty regularly over the last dozen games for him. I want to wish Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to all the Cook families, all the, the Neely family as well for my side of things. I want to thank the listeners as well for uh, just a fun way to close the Christmas holiday. Merry Christmas, King family. Merry Christmas, everybody.